Today on Coco Disaster, a special rendezvous, a table tennis for two. And welcome to Coco Disaster. I'm Chorpsaway, and today we have a very special guest. Hi, uh, I'm Hip Tamaride. I'm Chorpsaway's friend from college, and I'm here to discuss Ping Pong the Animation. That's right! We're here to discuss Ping Pong the Animation. I feel like one of the lesser known of Masaki Yuasa's sort of ouvoir. Yeah, I mean, I've heard more discussion over um, the guest episode of Adventure Time that he did than uh, than Ping Pong, which is a real shame. Yeah, I feel like it's a lot easier to find stuff, especially now that he's sort of more well-known, he's sort of, like, made a name for himself with Science Saru and everything, that you, you see people either talking about the most recent stuff or the stuff that got him started, like like Mind Game, and you don't see a lot of discussion about this, and maybe part of that is because it's, like, you know, uh, kind of a low-key adaptation for something that did extremely poorly in the West. But, you know, th- this is kind of like a... This is like the awkward middle, like, right before Science Star- Saru started. But, like, it flows with so much of that charm and style that Yuasa is now known for. And it's it's a super cool series, and that's kind of... I feel like it's really surprising for its subject matter. Like, sports anime is intensely popular, but you think about ping pong and you don't think hot-blooded action, you know? Yeah, um, I wanted to go back to the thing about why it might not be as popular, and one thing I noticed is that it's more, the plot is more grounded than a lot of other of Yuasa's uh, work. If you look at like things like Kaiba, the plot's a lot more abstract there, there's a lot more, um... There's a lot more abstract imagery, and ping pong, the imagery is mostly used uh, metaphorically to... The plot just feels a lot more grounded, so it feels more like Yuasa's doing an adaptation than, like, Yuasa's doing his own original work. Right, like, even in the way of Devilman Crybaby and how it's radically different from its source while still retaining that sort of, like, charm that everyone expects out of it. But yeah, so let's get right into it. I'm very excited to discuss this just because it is so distinct, I feel like, from the the sports genre. Yeah, um, the sports genre really has a set plotline that a lot of the um, a lot of the anime goes through, and it's very rigid. I have the most experience with Ice Shield 21, so I'm basing a lot of them off a lot of my comparisons off of Ice Shield 21's plotline. But it's usually like the team gets together, they lose the first tournament. They train really hard, and they win the very long second tournament, and that's technically what happens in ping pong, but it's approached in a much different way. Yeah, absolutely. So to start off the show, um, let's talk about some background information on ping pong the animation. So 
The original manga that this is based off of, uh, Ping Pong, was released by a seinen author named Taiyo Matsumoto uh, in 1996, who also uh, you may know from his work like Blue Spring or uh, Tekon Kencrete. And Matsumoto, as a manga author, is known for a very distinct art style he has. It, it leans more into sort of this idea of cartoonish realism and, you know, sort of, that sort of like photorealism style than more like traditional anime aesthetics. Yeah. Would you say that like Ping Pong the Animation is an accurate representation of Matsumoto's art style? Yeah, I think Ping Pong the Animation does a really good job of like feeling like you're you're aiming for this sort of like realism but still having very cartoonish elements and flair to it and also being very messy in a way that anime generally isn't. Yeah, um, and he had a lot of, he spent a lot of time in Europe uh, when he was younger, so a lot of Matsumoto's artists picked up from uh, a lot of Franco-Belgian indie cartoonists, and it's really nice to see that kind of influence, because I really like seeing artists uh, sort of go outside their genre for uh, inspiration. I think it really almost always improves the quality of the end product. And you see a lot of, like, cultural exchange artistically between, like, French artists and Japanese artists. There is a lot of, like, anime influence in French comics as well. And you can see that with, like, um, even, like, video games, like Gravity Rush takes a lot of influence, not only from, the, you know, Japanese art, but also a lot of French stylism. And there were a fair amount, there were a fair amount of, like, what was basically anime with a lot of French um, staff on it, like uh, Oban, Star, Oban Star Racers, I think the name? Yeah, or Galactic Football, things like that, yeah. And Matsumoto's work is relatively unknown in the West, definitely less popular than you would see from, like, the awards he's received as a manga author in Japan. And a lot of that ends up being because of a really spotty record of translation for his manga. He doesn't sell super well. I think, like, aesthetically, he just doesn't stand out in the same way a lot of the the more, like, bubbly and bright manga art does. And so... There are a number of his series that are just like partially translated and never picked up because they sold so poorly. So there's there's like not a chance to have like a big piece of Matsumoto's work available. And I think part of that might be he was the victim of his time because you look at the 90s, um, there was sort of a bottleneck of the manga that sold well over here. And I think now that we're um, now that translations are a lot more accessible and we have and the anime fandom has become a lot larger than it was 20 years ago. Um, I think we have more room for um, stylized or even difficult manga than we did back then. I think the thought of doing something like uh, like Goodnight Pun Pun, which got a pretty successful release here, I think, um, that would be sort of unheard of 20 years ago. Yeah, the, the very sort of pop aesthetic of that definitely feels like it's in a similar vein where now that anime as a, as a media construct, you know, as an as a industry in the West has expanded... We're, we're able to start getting into the weird stuff now that we have the foundation. Though, that said, even before this point, adaptations of Matsumoto's work have found sort of a cult status, specifically like Ping Pong and Tekon Kincrete. Yeah, and uh, before we move on from Tekon Kincrete, I wanted to note that, like, I haven't seen it, but even based on the plot summary, I can tell different uh, similarities between it and Ping Pong, because it's also about a pair of kids who basically they don't really function without each other. And I think that's one of the main takeaways from Ping Pong as well, is the relationship between Peko and Smile. Yeah, and 
in talking about that, ping pong is also regarded as a, as, as we said, a sports series that kind of steers from kind of common shonen tropes of the genre and has a good balance of sort of sport and character where the sport helps complement the characters and their worldviews in a way that like not a ton of sports can do. Like even just from watching it here, you get the idea that ping pong is so much more than just rote memorization and ideas of how to play. A lot of it is improvisation and the ability to to handle things not going your way in a way that like other sports don't exactly have because it's like one on one. Uh, I'd sort of disagree with you. I do agree that the fact that it's a one-on-one sport is important for the message of ping pong, but I really think, and I'll get into this more when we get into the discussion after the um, recap, that this really could have been about anything as long as it fit the, like, it's one-on-one and there's room for creativity. I think this could have been about, like, piano. It could have been about boxing. I know people in, um, like, competitive Smash Bros, which is also something I'd like to get into later, um, really see a lot of similarities between ping pong and the narratives that the big pros and Smash Bros go through. And I think one of its appeals is its universality to people who try to be great at something. Mm-hmm. I guess, yeah, I, I, more of what I was going for is, like, the, the team sport versus singular sport aspect. Because so much of the other stuff is, like, you know, your your volleyballs and stuff like that. You know, things that do, or, like, basketball, things that do require a, a teamwork and it, it doesn't have as much like individuality to to play as something like ping pong oh yeah i totally agree with you there and you can see how like when um more conventional sports manga uses sports that are more one-on-one like you take like robot laser beams um golf or like even yoamushi pedal i think suffered a little bit because it was trying to take something that's basically in the end about two individuals competing with each other uh and they tried to make it fit in a team context Mm mm-hmm so, the ping pong anime was produced by Tatsunoko Production in April of 2014, and as we discussed previously, is directed by Masaki Yuasa, whose other work include Mind Game, Kaiba, The Tatame Galaxy, and Devilman Crybaby. Also known for a very distinct art style in his work, though it's more freeform and loose than Matsumoto's tends to be, it's a very, like, fluid sort of style. Yeah, um, I haven't actually seen much other of Yuasa's work, so I'd be interested in seeing how much the stylization of ping pong was based on this is Yuasa and how much of it is this is based on um, Matsumoto's work. Yeah, and so this ended up being um, Yuasa's last directorial work before he started his own studio, Science Saru, which has a lot of talk behind it because it's like the only animation studio that is working nigh entirely in Flash. And that's true of Ping Pong as well. It appears to be the first work you also did largely in Flash, and you can see how that builds into things like the Tatami Galaxy and Devilman Crybaby in the way he animates and the way things move. And Yuasa noted his interest in making this particular adaptation was the hero will win theme, uh, because at the time he he says that it felt like it, di- it was difficult to have dreams in the modern era, and there's a, a, a meaning in making a story about a hero's triumph, because he was kind of 
on the fence because, you know, ping pong successful manga had a good live action movie, you know, what does the anime add? And so he was able to take it from this particular mindset and translate that to the screen. He notes that uh, at the time, he wanted fans to come at his adaptation from a fresh perspective where the point was not the story, because presumably they already knew it. It's more about the interpretation that he's giving and the way that he's changed the story to fit the medium. And I think that was a really successful experiment on his part, because there's a lot of elements in ping pong that I imagine couldn't exist in the manga or the movie, because part of it's about um, the stylization of the characters, uh, the music, the coloring, um, all these things that you couldn't really achieve in uh, the other two media. So, Yeah, like, the adaptation has just strong aesthetic design, like, even as an as an anime, it's using sort of these manga panel split screens in order to to be able to show action from both sides. And the the sound design of Table Sinus like fits into the music and like says so much about the characters ultimately. It's it's really fantastic what he was able to do with it. And um the one problem with that is it makes it more inaccessible to people who go into anime and they're expecting like I'm expecting this very clean, not that anime that doesn't distort very much with like characters that have the sort of classic Osamu Tezuka sort of build and facial proportions. And you go into that and you and you go into ping pong, you watch one episode, it's like, I don't think I'll be able to deal with this, um, which is a shame because once you get used to it, it becomes really worth watching. Yeah, that was like the first thing when I heard about ping pong, everyone's like, it's really good. But you look at it, it's kind of ugly. <laughs> like... And, and I, I think that's fine. Like, there, there's nothing wrong with an alternative art style, but definitely at, like, when you are sort of a, you know, like a, a, more, a newer fan, you want sort of that high polish particular look because that's what you have been sold on yeah. as anime. So, like, as we talked about before, like, the style of ping pong makes it a hard sell at the time. And now that, like, the audience has matured more. Ping pong is is something that I think more people are willing to give, uh, you know, give credit to. Yeah, and I think a lot of people have now gotten used to um, Yuasa through Devilman Crybaby. So I think going from Crybaby to ping pong is going to be a lot easier than going from like I don't know, like Naruto to ping pong. Yeah, absolutely, and and like all the other stuff he's doing too that fits into that similar style. Lou over the wall. Um, Night is Short, you know, things like that that are getting additional press. And just to close this off, I wanted to note that Ping Pong broadcast on the Noitamina block, which is this late night anime block devoted to what they, you know, what they describe as anime that reaches beyond the mainstream, beyond that young male demographic that so much of sort of, you know, modern anime sort of aims towards. Uh, it also broadcasts Yuasa's The Tatami Galaxy adaptation, so there's a little bit of history there. And, yeah, I mean, Noitamina is a, is a weird block if you, if you, like, look at just the shows that they've, they've shown. Yeah, there's not much that they have in common. The only thing I can think of right now before making a bunch of noise on my keyboard bringing it up, um, is they did, I think they produced a Silver Spoon adaptation. That might be true, but, like, you look at that and there's it's not a it's not a consistent like style or theme or anything. It's just this is we expect this to be something different. And I think at the very least, we can say that ping pong definitely achieves that.
So, in the case of Ping Pong, I feel like more important than the plot, we should start out discussing the characters of Ping Pong. Yeah, there's only five characters who we really focus on, and then there's a bunch of other side characters who are either like, there to push the our five protagonists essentially along their path, or it's people who essentially just get joke plot lines, like um, um, Ocean Guy. Oh yeah, the yeah the the Ocean Guy. So let's start by talking about Ocean Guy. <laughs> it's so hard to talk to him with him without getting to the entire plot because his his plot line takes all eleven episodes to show up, and he only shows up for like thirty seconds each episode. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, to start it off, we should start with who is our the character we follow most prominently. I I am hard pressed to say the protagonist, but Smile or Makoto Sukimoto is definitely the character that we get the most attention to. I'd kind of argue with that because I think I think Pekko's the one we're really supposed to see develop over these 11 episodes and um smile sort of locks into something in episode two and he stays that way until episode 11 but smile is our viewpoint i feel like we we see more through his eyes than we do anyone else's like we follow his story but his story is not the primary arc of ping pong yeah that's true because a lot more people are paying attention to smile over the course of it until like peko reaches um the level he's supposed to be at Yeah, so Smile is a very quiet and reserved student. He's nicknamed Smile because he seemingly never does. A lot of attention is brought to the fact that he was bullied as a child for being sort of, he seems like he's unfeeling, he seems like he doesn't emote. And Smile is very good at ping pong, but also really averse to trying hard. I don't even think it's trying hard as much as it is he just doesn't like competing. Yeah, I mean, sure, that works. But, like, you see how he talks in, in other parts of the story, and he's just like, anything that, like, requires him to to push harder is something that he considers a waste. Yeah, he just doesn't want to. He's doing ping pong because he enjoys it. He doesn't want to be a world champion. Yeah, and so um, his talent ultimately catches the eye of the entire rest of the cast. <laughs> And he has one friend who is uh, Yutaka Hoshino or Pekko. And Pekko, in contrast to Smile, is loud. Yeah, he's loud and he's rambunctious and he's dumb as hell. He does have great. He does have great opinions about snacks, though. Oh yeah, no, he, he's. I feel like there's almost like more attention taken to uh, Pekko's opinions on snack foods sometimes than like the ping pong. I think um, the best way to summarize Pekko's taste in food is the first episode where uh, I don't remember if he says it or if someone else notices it, but he has a water bottle, but he filled it with condensed milk. (laughs) Yeah, and so he's initially considered like the best player on his high school team. Yeah, he's very show-offy and he's very like, he does all those cool tough guy lines. It's like, it's 300 years too early for you to face me. Yeah, and he's, like, constantly showing off and sort of, like, you know, trying to act a buffoon to uh, to yeah. get his opponents in the in a bad state of mind. And it's kind of refreshing to have a character like that, because we're so used to, from sports shonen, having characters who, like, 
they're cocky, but when they lose, they're like, well, it looks like I've got a long path ahead of me. And like, Peko just bursts into tears and quits when he loses. And honestly, I kind of like, that's just a nice thing about his character. He has like a flaw that would normally fly in the face of um, what we'd expect from a sports anime. Yeah, he's hot-blooded and also a child. <laughs> he's like 0% mature. Even I think even to the end. And you know what? Honestly, God bless him. Uh, then we have rival, I guess, uh, Ryuichi Kazuma, or Dragon. Yeah, Dragon's, I think, the closest we get to straight up someone from a sports anime in this series, because what he goes through has a lot in common with what we see from, like, the big opponent in the, like, final episode of a sports anime, which is, like, he's very strong, but he has a lot of pressure put on him, and he's not enjoying it. He says specifically in, like, um, one of the last episodes, he says, like, victory is inevitable and um, losing is death. And that's something that um, I've seen a lot of in... I mean, I think it works really well. I just happen to notice this is where we get the most overlap. Yeah, and so Dragon is the star player and team captain for a ping pong school called Kaio. And he is 100% focused on winning... And, like, family honor, because he is the third-generation Kazuma at, you know, Kaio. He's expected to succeed. He's expected to be a world champ. Yeah, and his grandpa owns the sports company that manufactures all of the ping-pong equipment used in the series. So he also has that sort of um, advertising aspect to him as well. Yeah, and as you said, he is... He has a lot of pressure put on him because of this, and so much of his story ends up being about how fucked up that is. Um, then we have sort of, I guess like a deuteragonist, you know, not really a primary character, but it's still, still consistent throughout the story. And that's a uh, Kong Wenga, also known as uh, China because he's Chinese. <laughs> uh, he is technically like a transfer student to uh, another high school in Japan because he was kicked off the China Chinese national team for an unexplained offense. And we know, like, Tsujido, except for Kong, is, like, pretty weak as a school, right? That's the impression we get. Like, he got sent there so he could, like, get all these other losers, like, in shape. Yeah, and so his goal throughout the the first part is he just wants to return to his home country and redeem himself by becoming the Japan national champion so he can join back with his team. He has a lot of sort of like shame and resentment about what he's gone through, but he also has a confidence that he can absolutely make it back and like, you know, show those people what they, you know, what they let go when they uh, threw him out. Yeah, I mean, that arrogance is something that we see from him at the start. He feels like he doesn't belong in Japan. And I think the greatest, the greatest trick we see in ping pong is how this sort of like, Air, this, like, super arrogant, unpleasant guy becomes the most um, lovable character in the entire series. And what I really appreciate about uh, Ping Pong as an adaptation is because he is a Chinese character, they get a Chinese VA to oh, yeah, play him so and his coach. And yeah. so he speaks in Chinese throughout the whole thing with Japanese subtitles. Or, you know, minus, like, the the minor amount of Japanese he learns throughout the series, but, like, so much is focused on keeping this part of the character that's, like, really great in a medium that can allow it. Yeah, I, was, I loved that attention to detail there. 
Yeah, like that would never work in the manga, right? Because you're not going to write the Chinese and the Japanese underneath it. But having that detail for the anime is really nice. Yeah, and I think they got a, um, I think they got a Chinese fluent actor to portray him in the dub as well. Oh, okay, cool. Great. So, with these characters, we can now discuss the, the arc of the story, I feel. You want to start this off? Sure. So, episode one, we mostly get an introduction to Peko and Smile. It's basically like, we see how they fit in with the rest of the, um, I think Katase is their, um, their high school? Yeah. They, how they fit into Katase, by which, by which we mean they don't. Yeah. Peko keeps slacking off. Um, Smile isn't really doing much of anything. The team captain makes everyone run laps because both of them are really irresponsible. But they're also the two best players on the team. <laughs> yeah, so they can't get punished too much because they basically carry the rest of Katase around with them. And then we... They take ping pong more seriously when they're at uh, the ping pong dojo that's run by Tamara, who's this old lady who used to be a pro player. And... They both sort of make fun of each other in a loving way, like uh, the the two protagonists and Tamara, and they just slack off there and play ping pong a lot. Yeah, and with the first episode, we also get introduced to sort of the major, I guess, piece of like metaphorical storytelling that we get, which is the introduction of the hero. Like the the episode opens with this very like evocative sort of um, pop art kind of thing about how you know whenever you're in trouble. Call me three times and I will appear. I am the hero from the planet Ping Pong. Yeah, that's right. And that's the first thing we see before we get to any of the characters. So the first, the, what we go into this is expecting like, the hero is a metaphor for something, but we don't quite know what's going on here yet. Yeah, and it's, and it's something that, ha- that like makes the through line throughout the story, even if it doesn't show up as much as you'd expect. Yeah. And I think that's because the the hero plotline is mostly important. It's primarily important to Peko. Uh, it's also very important to Smile, but for the other three, like, their path to redemption is in a different... Uh, oh, we never got into Sakuma, did we? No, we'll get to Sakuma. I think we can get back to him later. Okay, yeah. Uh, but the other the other main characters, we only... They only touch upon the hero plotline a little bit. And mostly they view... They see redemption in a different lens. Yeah. So... In this situation where Paco and Smile are basically slackers, but too good to be punished, uh, they decide one day to skip club from their, uh, skip their high school ping pong club in order to check out this Chinese player, Wenga, who, uh, has shown up at Sujido Academy to sort of, you know, take care of their, uh, their ping pong club while he is more or less on probation. Yeah, and what we see of Suji- of uh, Wenge in his first days at Sushido is mostly he's just using it as an excuse to practice, and he doesn't really care about coaching the others. Yeah, he has a real nasty attitude and, like, is dismissive in the same way that, like, Peko's dismissive, but, like, antagonistic versus sort of playful and, you know, kind of like, kind of like a joker. Yeah, and he mostly relies on his coach, who's pretty much, like, who's more reasonable than him about this situation. Um, to sort of soften the blow to people, because he only talks in he only talks in Chinese uh, in the at the start, and so his coach is like he says like all these people all these people suck at ping pong, and he's like he needs you to work harder. Right, he's like oh there's there's room for improvement. Yeah, <laughs> he's the PR guy for Wicca. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so 
Peko and Smile end up playing a match while they wait for Wingo to come back from uh, running laps with the rest of the Academy. And Wenga, like, notes, uh, is able to watch their game and notes that while Peko is good, he's sloppy, and Smile is very clearly going easy on him to allow him these wins. And he tells this just by hearing them play from, like, the roof of the gym they're playing in, which is really cool. Oh, yeah, from the roof. Yeah, him and his uh, coach are just, like, listening, and it's like, you know, they can tell just from the way that the balls are hitting and, you know, the way it's snapped back that, uh, you know, how this game is going. And uh, Wenga goes down to kind of talk to them, you know, basically to tell Smile, like, hey, show respect, play at full power, you know, you shouldn't be going easy on this person. And Smile's like, yeah, but it's fun, so whatever. And then I think, like, Kong says, like, Smile, I want to play a game with you, and then Peko just jumps in front of, it jumps in between them, is like, no, play me, play me, play me. Right, yeah, because, of course, you know, he's he's the best one. And he is immediately just destroyed by Kong. Yeah, he doesn't pick up a single point. Yeah. So, Peko is annihilated 11-0, and he just breaks down from losing. He is absolutely devastated by the fact that Kong is not giving any shit, and he's just going to play against all of Peko's weaknesses. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he just bursts into tears, which I think is the first indication that we get that, like, Peko is not, he's not the sort of person who deals well with um, adversity. Yeah, absolutely. And we also get the first note of characters talking about how Smile lacks a fighting spirit. He lacks the ambition to compete in the way that would like, allow him to d- show and develop the skills that he has. Yeah, and I think the the real takeaway from Ping Pong the Animation um, is that it's true, and he doesn't have the ambition, but that doesn't mean that it's wrong of him to not have that ambition. Right, this, this is all coming from the perspective of people who are taking Ping Pong very seriously in comparison to him. Uh, one thing I do want to bring up, um, one of the really great things I like about the aesthetic of this series is the sort of, um, it almost has a mixed media appearance. Like, Tamra lights up a cigarette and the smoke coming off, it looks like it was drawn in chalk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And part of that comes from the fact that they can just do, like, kind of, they, they have a particular sort of freedom in Flash, you know, that, like, you can make all these disparate elements kind of look like they fit because kind of nothing really looks like it fits in the same way as like when you see, you know, a CG car go through a, a typical yeah. like anime environment. There's actually a reasonable amount of CG in ping pong, but it's like very hard to notice actually. It's just the models are so um, accurate to the rest of the stuff that's drawn in flash that like the only noticeable parts is when the they do the ping pong as like perfect CG spheres, and that's only because when they don't do that, the ping pong balls are like dented. <laughs> yeah, they look, they look like absolute ass. There is not a single straight line in the series. Yeah, absolutely not. And so with uh, Peko being destroyed by by Kong, he just decides he's gonna immediately give up. Yeah, and that's the anime, everyone. Thanks for listening to our podcast. I mean, in, in in any other show, maybe. <laughs> but now, the coach of Katase, Joe Koizumi, 
tells Smile to sort of like, hey, you know, I know that Pecco's all messed up, but we can develop you as a player now. Because he's recognized Smile's talent and he's like, okay, I'm going to put the, you know, I'm going to use all my strength to give you some fucking fighting spirit. And really, like, episode two is so good. Um, Joe just rules. He's such a great character. Yeah, so Joe is like, hey, I'm going to be here at 5 a.m. If you want to show up, we can do some practicing early. We can really start to develop your style. Yeah, he's essentially he's essentially um, doing that that scene where the guy stands outside with a boombox. And, like, his, his strategy for getting Pecco to show up to practice is to be so pitiful that he feels sorry for him. And that's kind of a joke that they show later where, like, Someone asks, hey, Joe, are you in love? And he's like, I guess so. And, you know, like, oh, yeah, and then it shows, like, his blood type and um, age and, like, zodiac sign and stuff like that. Yeah. And it, it just shows that he has this, like, affinity for Smile. Yeah. And so he keeps showing up at 5 a.m. Before, before class and, like, telling Smile that he's like, oh, you didn't make it to, to practice. I was doing this and this to try to, to try to get him to feel bad about it. And one thing I want to note is that when Paco decides to quit table tennis, it seems like he's, like, talking to Smile to get Smile to say, like, hey, you know, no, you need to keep up with it, you know, we're, we're rooting for you. And Smile's just like, yeah, if you don't like it, don't do it, whatever. And so Paco does, and he ends up, like, snacking a lot more. <laughs> yeah, it's like... This first couple episodes is we sort of get lulled into a false sense of security that whenever Pekka loses to someone, he just says, I'm going to quit. And then he just comes back to ping pong because he enjoys it like a week later. And that sets us up for the fact that he really does give up like halfway through the series. And we see like Pekka who just gave up because he got beaten versus Pekka who like doesn't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And so um, we we get, I think, a really... <laughs> A really um, evocative quote from Smile as the co uh, coach continues to try and get him to show up for training, which is, table tennis and learning English vocabulary are just ways to pass the time until I die. <laughs> Smile, like, doesn't have passion. He wants to waste time until, you know, until the day he dies. <laughs> and you see that a bit because he is constantly, if he's not doing anything else, playing video games. One thing I want to note is that um, I think in the original he's playing with a Rubik's Cube or something like that, but Yuasa brings Ping Pong to the modern day and he gives him the video game and I think that adds another layer of meaning because the video game has those robot metaphors we see applied to Smile a lot. Yeah, and, and it's, it's a little more mindless than something like the Rubik's Cube. And so, Coach Joe does not stop there at one point, he literally hijacks hijacks a Smile's lunch in order to give him, like, a, a protein, you know, a protein-heavy, sort of, like, healthy lunch alternative. Like, he's literally cooking him bento to be like, this is what you need to eat. Yeah, yeah, it's this really elaborate bento box, yeah. And uh, it has, I think, it's hard to say anything in this is, like, really iconic, but the most iconic scene in this where... You hear these characters say the word burger in English really yeah. bad. <laughs> burger. Yes, it's like, you know, a Smile brings a hamburger into the class and uh, and Joe is Can like- Can we briefly talk about what a power move it is to just bring a hamburger? Like, just a regular hamburger in for lunch? Yeah, that's, that's wild, right? Like, I, I would have never just brought in a hamburger. Because here's the thing. 
it's going to get cold. Yeah. But he brings in this burger. He's about to eat it. And basically, while he says, like, burger, Joe just, like, slaps it out of his hands and gives him a, uh, like, a, a salmon lunch and is like, eat this instead. Like, he literally confiscates the burger and just tosses it. And he also starts, like, yelling at Smile while he's playing in the club, trying to coach him while he's so desperately is trying to fight back against this because he just doesn't want anything in his life to be complicated. He wants this to, he wants at, at the very least ping pong to be a simple endeavor, a, just a game. Yeah. He's just, he wants to do this at the level he wants to play at. He doesn't see much of a point in, um, in becoming like this big ping pong legend. Yeah. And at the same time, we were first introduced to Cosma Dragon because he appears at uh, Katase in order to scope out Smile. You know, clearly people see that he has the ability to be a high-level player and that he's squandering his talent by being at this school and not playing to the best of his ability. Yeah. And the repeated attempts of... Uh, I'll talk about this more when we get to some of the rest of it in the later episodes, but the repeated attempts of Kayo to scout Smile get kind of funny at how, like, off the mark they are with him. Because uh, a lot of it's them saying, like, oh, look at our great facilities, we have a world-class team, and that's just, like, not something that Smile's going to appreciate at all. He just wants to, he just wants to go to Kadase, where, like, it's easier, and um, uh, he has his friend there. Yeah. And through all this, Peko, as much as he made a big deal about quitting, is immediately like, you know what? I realize why I play ping pong. I like winning. So, back to practice. <laughs> Because that's the kind of character Pecco is. So, despite his distaste for the whole thing, Smile starts to feel bad for Joe and starts taking the practice regiment a little more seriously. And during this whole thing, he, he's very clearly unhappy about all of it. And Joe is trying to get him to, to play harder by calling him out. Like, Whenever things get hard, whenever you're challenged, you want to retreat, you want to give up, and that's some bullshit. <laughs> and it comes down to uh, Smile and the coach playing a game of ping pong. Yeah, they essentially do, uh, they essentially say, like, if Joe wins this match of ping pong, then, um, then Smile just has to follow all of his orders forever. And if Smile wins, then he can just go back to, like, being going easy on Peko and eating burgers. Exactly. And we see the hero element come back up again as sort of like the scenery kind of paints um, Smile like locked in a locker from bullies and someone showing up to to release him from that and like just, you know, show him the light. This hero here to pull Smile out of his shell. Yeah, we get that pretty early in the episode, the first time with the actual hero showing up. And it's also the first time we see blood taste like iron, which is the one of the um, recurring phrases to describe Smile's development. Right, especially since, uh, like we said a little bit earlier, Smile is like considered a robot. You know, he doesn't emote, he doesn't do anything, he just moves. And ultimately, Smile is able to beat the coach. And this is where like the hero imagery changes. And it's a robot pulling him out because he starts going into sort of his, like, first focus mode. You know, he goes ultra instinct. 
Yeah. And, like, he starts just kicking the shit out of Joe in ping pong. Yeah, he, like, Joe's, like, 72 and Pecco starts, or, sorry, Smile starts, like, destroying him. Like, he's lying down on the floor asking for five minutes break and then Smile stands on the table and says, like, no, we need to, we need to play more ping pong. Right. And, like, ultimately Joe wins in this because he got Smile to do exactly what he wanted him to. Uh, Coach literally passes out from exhaustion and loses. It's hard to put into words exactly how Smile changes in this match because he did win and he could go back to it. But I think, and what we skipped over a little bit, a little bit is we see the um, we see the sort of daydream he has where he's in the locker and then the hero comes rescue him. But the second time around, like a robot shows up and it says, uh, "You are a robot, um, so stop, um, stop feeling anything. Just do what people tell you to do." And uh, Smile Robot was, I think, the first time I thought, oh my god, this anime is fantastic. Because up until this point, it was like, it was hitting the fairly normal beats for a sports series, uh, especially the first match against Kong. And this is like, I didn't expect it to happen this way. Like, you hardly ever see, like, a character gets a mental power-up that allows them to beat their opponent, and it's portrayed as bad. Right, it's very clearly like, oh wait, this is not the hero. Because they also talk earlier about, like, you know, hero versus the robot kind of, you know, that that's the that's the classic sort of fight. And so you see how it changes and it's like, oh fuck. But after this match in the next episode, we see that Smile shows up to Joe's house to check up on him. Like, very clearly, this match has had an effect on him in Joe's favor. Yeah, the Smile Joe relationship is Pretty interesting, because on one hand, like, Joe is bringing out a bad part of Smile, but on the other hand, they do, like, genuinely care for each other. Yeah. So, Smile ends up sort of, you know, getting into the the coach relationship with Joe, and we cut to our first tournament arc. This is the Interhigh Preliminaries. Um, This is where we meet sort of another deuteragonist, uh, another rival, Sakuma. Uh, Manabu Sakuma, also known as Akuma, which is demon. Yeah, and his introduction is great because the first time we see him, he like runs across the room and headbutts Peko. Yeah, because he is very specifically the childhood rival of Peko's. And he goes to Kaio Academy, so he's part of sort of, you know, the elite of the elite now. Yeah. Uh, and he's really trying to impress on Peko that he's better than him now because he's going to Kaio, which is the first string school, and he's just, like, bumbling around in Katase. And at this point, we don't have much to go on as to which of them is actually better right now, but we see, like, this is a rival relationship. This is something I can, I'm used to already. Yeah. And this is also where we start to see sort of some of, like, uh, dragons, like, damage, right? They They note that before all of his matches, he sits in the, you know, he just is in the bathroom until he has to play, and then he goes right back. And no one understands what it is, except for the coach who just says, you'll understand his pain someday, and you see him, like, just sitting in us, like, standing in a stall, almost, like, meditating, sort of, like, he's clearly not using it for its intended purposes. Yeah, and that's the first time we see a vulnerability in Dragon that we don't really get to see um, until near the end of the series. But it's our first sort of hint at, um, I guess it's our first hint at he's not really enjoying this. Yeah. And so the main setups here we have are 
Wenga is here and he wants to win the Japanese circuit to return to the national team because he also knows if he loses in the preliminaries for the inter high, there's no way he's ever making it back to China because that would be humiliating. Then we have Ryuichi, who is just needs to win all the time, forever. Smile is doing what coach tells him to do. Um, you know, he lets Joe sort of, dis- you know, explain what he wants. And he, even to the point where, like, how long do you want this game to go? Do you want me to, like, make it so it looks like he's, you know, not, you know, that he's not being completely thrashed? Oh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just do this in five minutes. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's like, I'll do this in five minutes if you want. I can do it in ten, whatever. T- tell me what you want. And, and Pekka's here to be Pekka. Yeah, he just kind of assumes he's going to make top four here. Yeah. This is also where we meet uh, Ocean Man, who is Smile's first opponent and just gets absolutely thrashed. And he's a third year who, taking this loss, he's like, oh, you know, I've been so fickle, I don't really care about ping pong. I just want to escape. The ocean seems nice. And he leaves and packs his stuff and immediately just escapes. Maybe to never be seen again. (laughs) Yeah. It's like he's one of a few, like... People who we see maybe 10 seconds of before Smile kicks their ass. Like, there's another one. It was uh, like a guy who has a girlfriend. The girlfriend's like, oh, I believe in you. Like, our love can take us forever. And then he just immediately is destroyed by Smile. Yeah. And as he's talking to his coach, Smile still states like, hey, you know, a ping pong is for wasting time. And given that Ryuichi keeps trying to uh, recruit him, he specifically, like, states... I think it's really creepy to devote your life to the sport of ping pong. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's not it's not something it's not something valuable like League of Legends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we get introduced to this refrain that pops up multiple times, which uh Smile calls the hero song, which is something he hums uh in between matches and stuff, and he says that, you know, this this is the song of his hero. Yeah, this I remember people complaining about how off-key it is in the third episode, and, like, before that's I... That's not the point. That's not the point, for one thing, and, like, this has a huge amount of payoff that, like, I think people couldn't appreciate before the whole series finished. Mm-hmm. And so, this is where we start getting discussion of heroes, you know? Pekko's like, oh, heroes are the stuff of manga, and Smile is like, I have a hero, and I'm, I'm waiting for him to appear, and that's the most we get out of that. So then we have the match of Wingo versus Smile, and we see sort of where the difference between them lies, because Wingo very clearly has something to fight for. And the fact that Smile has no horse in the race means that he... Even though he's, like, going through the training and stuff, he's not putting his all into these games. Yeah, and we could, I guess we could talk a little bit about the actual, like, the way the game plays out, but it's mostly, like, Smile starts winning after he figures out um, Wenge's weaknesses, and then Wenge's coach starts yelling at him, and then Smile feels sorry for him and just sort of throws the game. Yeah, he feels bad for Wenge and lets him win at the end, even though he, like, you know, he takes an incredible lead. And so, the tournament continues, and Smile is reprimanded for the fact that he 
wasn't going all in for that match. And he pushes Smile to quit if he's not going to start taking this seriously when he enters these tournaments. And I think this is the last time until the very end we see some amount of mercy from Smile because like when he tries to when he tries to be nice to people, he just keeps getting negative feedback. Like he's he's sort of starting to feel like the only way people are going to appreciate me is as a ping pong robot. Like they don't they don't value what I think or feel. Right. Yeah. And then we get the the match between Pekko and Sakuma. And this is where we kind of get their history that, you know, they both went to the Tamara table tennis hall as children and they have been keeping record of how many times each of them has won. Uh, Pekko is currently in the lead at 92 to 24. And this match is very clearly a, like, talent versus hard work sort of discussion within ping pong. Yeah. Because Pekko is coasting on his natural talent for the game. But Sakuma has been training very, very hard to get into Kayo and, you know, to do all this. And so he is able to overpower Pekko, not through strength or anything, but through strategy. He wears Pekko out by sort of playing intentionally slow while Pekko tries to do these big smashes. Yeah, so he, he'll, like, deflect the ball so it, like, goes, like, 20 feet into the air, so Pekko has to concentrate on returning it. And more specifically, he just specifically trained in this style to piss off Pekko. Like, so that, that's the one reason he did it. He even, yeah. he even admits later, like, this isn't really a style I'm good at. But, like, in the moment, he's just doing it because he knows Pekko's not going to, like, change in any way, and that, like, he's too predictable now. Yeah, and we get a lot of discussion about how it's so easy to coast on talent versus being able to cultivate it through hard work. Yeah. You know, pressure wrecks athletes, this this desire to win, and the way that loss affects people, and this is where Pekko is decimated a second time. <laughs> The interesting thing about this, though, is I think the talent versus hard work thing here isn't as clear cut as it is in a lot of other sports anime, where it's very clearly like, yeah, hard work is good. Like, work very hard and uh, you'll win and have friends. And in this one, it's like we get we get the talent versus hard work thing about Sakuma beating Pekko. And then in the very next episode, Sakuma loses because he's not talented enough. Right. Well, the thing I think with a lot of more common sports anime stuff is like, like, especially if you look at, I don't know, um, Kuroko no Basuke. You have a case where the only reason they're so good is because they are all extremely naturally talented. And so I thought ping pong was a good sense of talent is not the only thing that you need, you know, versus a lot of other sports stuff where it's like the people who are naturally talented just have such a gulf between hard work that, you know, the the focus is always on the people who are naturally talented. Even Haikyuu has like some of that, even though it balances it a bit better. I think Kuroko no Basuke's like talent versus hard work thing is more. Um, it's to set up how the main not the not Kuroko but the the main character he's a partner with, like the tall guy with the sort of red black hair. Like he pretty much just works really hard. Like he's he doesn't have the natural talents that other people in the generation of miracles have. But also, they're literally called the Generation of Miracles. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, this is where this this big thing comes out where, like, I, I, another quote I got was, talented people who know themselves never crave anything. And that's specifically in the case of, I think, Smile, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, 
he knew himself from the very start of the series, and the only problem is people have been expecting something from him that he can't deliver. Right. Winning is how people prove something to themselves, and you see that a lot in Pekka, where, like, as soon as he loses, he crumbles under this this idea of, like, false identity, right? Yeah. Then, oh my god, the, the final match of this, where it's uh, Wenga versus uh, Ryuichi. Yeah, that's when Yuasa pulls the, like, Yuasa switch. This, yeah, this is where it's like, oh, fuck you, this is, my, <laughs> this is my adaptation now, where the music, the animation... Everything about the design, like, frames Dragon as a monster of yeah. ping pong. Like, almost a literal demon. <laughs> yeah. And something that uh, was pointed out to me in an article I read is that, uh, especially with Dragon's early matches, there's a lot of black. And it's like black and then purple, like Kaio's purple, and those are the only two colors, so the whole thing looks a lot more like he's, um, there's no real light in his life. Like, He's just going to crush people because it's expected of him, I guess. Right. And so Wenga is destroyed, but like, in comparison to someone like Peko, he almost feels that like at peace about this loss, like recognizing this person is so much fucking better than me that I did not stand a chance and I accept that. Where like Peko was beaten by basically someone being smarter than him and it destroys him. So, ultimately, the, the inner high preliminaries end. Uh, the top eight is all uh, representatives from Kaio. Ryuichi takes the top. And so Kong comes out of this feeling, like, freed from table tennis. He no longer feels the obligation. He's like, okay, I'm never going to make it back again. I might as well accept this and, continue, you know, like, move on with my I life. I might as and well it, put it, actual effort into teaching these people. Right, which is, like, the big turn for him in his character. Like, he's been playing professionally since he was, like, eight, ripped from, you know, like, his home. And now he's just allowed to do whatever. Yeah. So, in the wake of the inter-high preliminaries, this is where we get sort of Sakuma's big episode, because he is pissed. He did extremely well in the inter-high. But Ryuichi does not care. Ryuichi has one focus. And that is to get Smile on his team. And that pisses him off because, as we talked about, Sakuma has been working so hard to get here. You know, he has put so much on the line in order to do this. Kaio is a cruel and unusual sports school. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, they interview Dragon after I think he wins the inner high that year. And then he says, he like, wins the Youth Olympics. Yeah, and then he says, like, yeah, our school is garbage. We need more people like this specific person from Katase. <laughs> right, he calls out on national TV, and he's called out for, like, hey, what the fuck? Why, why would you do that? And you can tell all of his teammates fucking hate him, but, like, they can't say anything to him because he's clearly, like, the best. Like, he lives a shitty, rough life, and nothing's good for him. We also see what's happened to Peko after he's quit. He's basically dropped out of school, and now he's just, like, Fucking around on the beach and, like, I don't know, like, ignoring women that he takes out? He, yeah, he gets in an inner tube and then goes into the ocean. I think it, like, he spends, he spends, like, six hours in there or something like that when he's, when he's done inner tubing, like, it's night. And this girl that he came with is gone and he's like, oh, what? <laughs> like, as if that's not, like, the, the least surprising thing that would happen to him. And he's, like, very clearly let himself go. He's just, like, 
He's yeah. a real wreck. I mean, he always just eats whatever, but like people point out that he's gained weight, which means he's not actually, he's not putting in all the ping pong exercise to burn all those calories. And he's also smoking, which um, we see this in a lot of other sports anime, which like a character smoking indicates that they're not. Uh, and I, I don't like, I don't agree with this personally because there's a lot of nuance here, but like when we see someone smoking in a sports anime, it's usually an indication that they're not taking the sport seriously because they're doing something that like lowers their performance. Yeah, I think it's a it's a shorthand, right? Like in order to let you know just how much they've like let themselves go, they're smoking. But also, Peko eats snack cakes 200% of the time. <laughs> yeah. But that's just that's just who he is though. Yeah. We see uh Kong part ways with his coach and sort of like take on a more active role with his school. You know, he he receives a care package from his mother and like he he has this big emotional moment. Oh my god, that scene is... Like, that is the scene where my opinion on Kong did a 180. Like, it seems so cheap to say, like, I like this character, like, so much because it turns out he was just a mama's boy. But it really... <laughs> but, like, you, you... Also, you recognize throughout this, like, how fucked, like, yeah. the ping pong regimens everyone's going through is. Like, the fact that he's, like, still clinging to this piece of his childhood is so... Yeah, it totally reframes, like, Kong wants to go home to China because the first four episodes, it's like, Kong wants to go home to China because he needs to prove that he's a good ping pong man. And then, like, episode five is like, oh no, he misses his mom. Yeah, he wants to go back to, to China because he misses his mom. And, yeah, it's it's really charming. And meanwhile, Smile is doing all the training. He's, he's really, like, get, he's given his all to Joe. And part of that includes that the rest of his club is being pulled along with him. So, like, Joe is setting up all of these games with schools that are infinitely better than Katase, specifically to give, like, Smile the leg up while everyone else is decimated. I don't remember if it was in this episode or a later one, but it shows, like... The team captain who was, like, taking this most seriously out of everyone in the first episode, by, like, the fifth or sixth episode, he's just playing baseball with, like, the paddles and stuff like that. Yeah. And Smile gets pissy about it, but, like, it's like, yeah, what else do we do? Coach doesn't pay attention to the rest of us and also clearly doesn't think we're part of the team. And that's something that you get that's very different from a lot of other sports anime, because you look at any team-based one, it's like, the star joins the school and he sort of, everyone else works hard to keep up with him. And then the whole team becomes better, and then they go on to win the championship. And this is like, if you have one very talented person in the school, then no one else is going to be able to get up to his level. So they're just not going to take it seriously anymore. Mm-hmm. And through all this, we end up in a situation where Sakuma breaks the rules of Kaio and goes to play someone from another school outside of a tournament. And so he shows up at Katase to defeat Smile and basically prove... This idea that hard work is better than talent again. Yeah. And it's pretty fucked because Sakuma is in a situation where he will lose literally everything if he loses. Like, he will be disgraced. He's going to be disqualified. He might be disqualified even if he wins. Like, if he loses, he has nothing to go back to. And meanwhile, Smile has nothing but, like, can do nothing but gain from this game. I think um, we see a lot of samurai metaphor when um, Sakuma goes over to play Smile, and I think the point of that one is, this is what I read from the article, I thought it was very insightful. Sakuma basically recognizes that if Smile does take the offer and goes to Kaio, 
that Sakuma is probably going to be out of the team because he's not as talented. And so he's going to, um, if he's going to essentially die either way, he's going to die with honor and he's going to play Smile on his own terms instead of waiting for him to get eliminated by default. God, talking about honor though, if he's going to get real, he's not going to come back with fucking anything after this game. So Smile calls the match to end within 15 minutes and match means three games, you know, best of three or no, best of five, best of five. And he fucking does it. He's just, uh, Sakuma is absolutely decimated in this match. I think, like, Sakuma gets five points scored on him, and he, like, throws his paddle and is like, oh, I can't do this. And so Sakuma has his own sort of breakdown, but in a way that's like, I have put in all this work, and I still can't beat you. Why is that? And Smile fucking murders him, just says, because you haven't got a talent for table tennis. And it just kills him. I think that speech and, like, Smile Robot and then a couple others we'll get to. There's, like, four, like, outstanding scenes in Ping Pong, and that's one of them. And I think this still doesn't go against what I said earlier about the hard work versus talent thing. It's like, talent just isn't enough, right? Like, clearly there needs to be an aptitude for this sport, but, like, you have to cultivate it. You have to work on it. You can't just coast on it. Though You know, this is, this yeah. is a very... This this now becomes, like, a Peko versus Smile thing, where, like, they both clearly have a talent for table tennis, but one of them is trying, and one of them is a wreck right now. What I think Ping Pong's trying to do is approach the hard work versus um, talent thing with some nuance, because it's saying working hard and not having the passion for it is self-destructive. Mm-hmm. And at the end of this, Sakuma takes out his frustration about this on a stranger in the streets, which definitely is going to get him thrown out of school. <laughs> and Peko decides to throw his ping pong paddle into the river, saying that he's just, he's decided he's really never going to play again for real this time. And it's a cool shot too, because it gets like, you see it fly under the moon and that's sort of, uh, because Smile has a moon metaphor, um, that also indicates like, I'm so far below Smile right now. Like, I might as well not even try anymore. And I think part of Peko's anguish has been like, the realization that Smile has been going easy on him all this time. And part of his part of his sort of mind frame is like, I'm better than my friend Smile. Uh, I'm stronger than him and I have to take care of him. And suddenly like Smile is like leagues better than I am right now. Yeah, because he watches the match and it's just like, well, fuck. So uh, we then, uh, with episode six, get another hero versus robot discussion as we, you know, we talk about how the hero faces off against the robot, you know, the hero has this weak point. How does it handle that versus the robot? And uh, very, a very direct quote, which is, the robot is going berserk, but he's nice on the inside. And the focus is that the hero basically saves the robot from itself. And more often now, literally scenes where Smile is playing ping pong, the sounds of a robot accompany him. Like you can hear the mechanical whirs and stuff as he bends his arm and stuff. Yeah, and you got things like the Matrix, the, it was a few episodes ago, but the Matrix, uh, the Matrix, like, code flying down as he has his match with Kong. Mm hmm So, this is where we start to see a bigger contrast between, I guess, these rivals, which would be Smile and Ryuichi, who are both vastly superior than their teams, making everyone resent them, but also failing to allow them to blend in with their, with their peers. And yeah, that's that like 
we start to see that they are becoming similar, but still distinct. Yeah. You know, they, they both have these hardened practice routines. Cosmo's fitted with the best gear, but Smile has this, this like natural ability to overcome these things just being who he is. Yeah, I mean, Cosmo's in a leadership position, so he interacts with people, and he has a reasonably active social life. In terms of, like, he actually talks with people at the club occasionally. His cousin is into him, which is kind of strange. Yeah, they they, they go into that all, all more later, but, like, it, it's, a, it's a strange relationship he has with his live-in cousin. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we, we start to see his smile change very drastically because he's taking it serious now. Which, at the beginning, everyone is pissed off because he took it 0% seriously. Now that he's taking it 100% seriously, everyone still hates him, but for different reasons. Yeah. Uh, and we only, he really only interacts with Koizumi from, like, episode 2 all the way until the end, when he actually gets to play Peko. Maybe because it's, like, the only person who doesn't, like, either fear him because he's, like, the super strong Tsukimoto, or um, hates him because he sort of, like, destroyed the team. Yeah. And we also see more of Kazuma's, or uh, more of Ryuichi's baggage, where it's like, you know, he's been indoctrinated with this idea that, like, having a dream takes talent, and those who don't have talent need to just stay out of everything. Yeah. Um, there, there is no hero. You have to accept reality and understand that everyone is out there for themselves. Meanwhile, we, we, we reach Christmas, and everyone's having a very different day. It is unbelievable that this scene is anime only. Like, it's so important to everyone's character development. It's like, it blows me away that you also just slid this in here. So, Pekko is um, fucking up all of his relationships because he has a real nasty attitude, and he accidentally gets drunk and vomits at the harbor. Oh yeah, he eats a bunch of, he eats a bunch of those booze-filled chocolates and he gets into a fight with a boat. Yep, uh, so, you know, he's, he's, he's doing him. Yeah, he's training really hard for the new Winter High. Yeah, Kong's mom flies in to visit for Christmas, and... Him and the team and his mom all make wontons together and go out for karaoke. And the whole scene is, like, set to their karaoke song. It's very, like, yeah. it's it's very charming, especially against the fact that everyone else is having the shittiest Christmas yeah. imaginable. It's like, Kong is the first person to figure out, like, what sustainable excellence looks like. Right. So, yeah, they're having fun. Pekko is vomiting and picking fights with a boat because he's drunk. Um, Smile is just busy practicing with Joe and sort of, you know, that's how they spend the, the, yeah, the evening. He, he eats a he eats a cake in his dark house alone. Yeah, which is really sad. Well, it, yeah, and and Ryuchi misses a date he has with his cousin because he is just working out all day. We catch him doing these like wild hanging sit-ups, and he's just going at it all night. Um, we see Sakuma who is now working on a construction site because he had to drop out. Yeah, and the look on his face we get is like, yep, I pretty much expected this. Yeah. So yeah, that's... That's Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas Mr. Tsukimoto. <laughs> so, following that, uh, Sakuma and Peko have kind of a heart-to-heart -heart moment. And, like, the, the big... Like, the first big takeaway from it is, is a quote, it's like, not all birds can fly. Like, Sakuma clearly realizes that he had reached an apex that he couldn't pass, and it would not allow him to, to further his career in ping pong. He's like, 
accepted, you know, I've moved on, I'm doing this work, I, 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 I now feel happier because this weight of having to work so damn hard to match with everyone else is gone. Yeah, and that's really cool, but I um, do think it wasn't executed as well as it could have been in the end, and I'll talk to talk more about that as we get into the relevant episode. Okay. So, Sakuma ends up urging Peko to take up ping pong again, right? Peko has the talent, he just needs to fucking work at it. And, you know, he notes, like, hey, everyone in our class, you know, me, Everyone else who went to Tamara saw you as a hero, right? And, like, I I can only see this, like, your natural talent now that competition isn't a factor for my success. And then further goes out, like, in a similar way to Smile, like, as soon as the first sign of resistance appears, you just give up. You can't handle any amount of failure, and that's, like, your big weakness. That's the thing you need to get over. You can't work for anything. So you can't cultivate any of your talent. And the Pekko's like, uh, fuck you. And he jumps off the bridge, realizing that he's wearing way too many clothes, and he starts drowning. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a that's a power debate move right there. Yeah, and he like as he's dying, he's like, Shit, I was pretty good at ping pong, huh? <laughs> Maybe I should have taken it more seriously. And Sakuma jumps in after to save him. And Pekko, like after this whole moment, because, like, all right, um, I think they just call her Oba, you know, old woman, at Tamara, to reteach him the game from scratch so he can recapture his dream of fucking being a winner. Yeah. One thing I want to note before we move on is that I think the difference between Smile and Pekko's issues is that Smile doesn't like doing anything that's hard, and Pekko enjoys challenging things as long as he's guaranteed to win. Right, but, but a similar thing where, like, as soon as something comes in that, like, shakes them up, yeah. they both crumble. Neither of them are great at handling adversity, it's just in slightly different ways. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, now we reach the point where Pekko's back in the picture, you know? He's working out again, he's putting more effort into his craft, he's really trying to reach the point where he can compete again. And he has a lot to catch up on, because Smile, still working, Ryuichi, still working, still trying to recruit Smile... And Kong is living a good, successful life. Yeah, Kong's done. He doesn't even need to show up for the rest of this anime. Like, his, like he figured everything out. Yeah. And Pekko starts, like, training at, like, an Olympic training facility or something. It's run by um, Tamara's son. Mm-hmm. And so, at one point, um, while Smile and Joe are training, Smile leaves Joe behind, like, you know, uh, at like a stop that they're doing on their run and just says that he is, he's too soft as a coach. You know, he's, he, he's still, he also is like trying to take smiles feelings into account when he should just be like, you know, this is how you become the winner. And so when he does that, he runs off and, uh, he's like, you know, let me play where I want. Let me be who I want. Because Joe is also like, you know, if you went to Kayo, you do a lot better than with me, like not realizing the thing that Smile is doing. And uh, Smile runs off, but eventually comes back to school. And it's like, you know, I ran off and Joe, uh, Joe's like, what did you find? He's like, I, I couldn't get anywhere just running. So he knew that he needed this coach. You know, the, the, the relationship has changed so much from the first episode. Yeah. We also get a, a great look at Ryuichi's emotional abuse. 
that he has endured for the sake of his family pride, like, as a child. Like, so much of his family's legacy and pride has been placed literally just on his shoulders because his dad is not great at ping pong. So he is crushed. You know, this is why he spends all his time in the bathroom. This is why he can't, like, interact with other people. He's so focused on this this really fucked up relationship that's been yeah. ingrained into him. He's bearing the weight that his his grandfather's putting on not just him, but also his parents. He is so tragic as a rival. Yeah. Like, you can see Sakuma's a more clear, like, anime rival, but, like, uh, Ryuichi's on, like, a, a, a different level of sort of, like, not quite the, the, the typical shonen sort of, like, you know, messed up final villain who has, like, the heart of gold. He is the char- he is like the the main character of his own very tragic dramatic series. Yeah. So then we <laughs> we cut right back from the tragic story of Ryuichi to Smile and Joe at an amusement park like on a roller coaster where very clearly Smile's having zero fun and Joe is just eating it up. Yeah, Joe's like, "Hey, why aren't you laughing? Laugh if you're having fun." Smile says, "I'm not having any fun." <laughs> And they they end up in a gondola, and they start to talk about Joe's past. He was a professional player at one point, or, you know, very uh, highly skilled player in high school. And he went by Butterfly Joe because he moved so freely, he could look, you know, he looked like a butterfly on the the court. Like a real rising star thing, but when it came to the, the qualifiers, he ended up um, throwing the game for a friend of his who was playing against him with an extremely bad knee injury because he knew that he could not possibly do that to his friend. He could not, he could have played such that he only put focus on the bad knee and won, but like it was cruel. You know, we see where Joe gets this sort of like this feeling if you're too soft, you can't win because. He did that. Yeah. And it's weird that this is brought up because it never gets referred to again for the rest of the anime. Yeah. Weird, huh? <laughs> and so, yes. Uh, smile, uh, then Joe asks, like, hey, Smile, could you do that? Could you do that? And uh, Smile refuses to answer. <laughs> um, Joe gave up pro table tennis that day. And as it turns out, Ryuichi's grandfather was that guy, so that's why he became praised for his recklessness and became a star, and now he's the president of Kaio, the biggest ping-pong school in the country. Yeah, and he's really making great use of um, making great use of the chance that Joe afforded him and being like real piece of work to his entire family. Yeah, and Joe specifies, like, hey, this isn't a revenge thing. I'm not using you as a tool to, to get back for this whole thing. The only reason I took you on is because I wanted to show you a place where only the talented can go, right? Like, because Smile is so stuck in this idea of never, never, like, shaking things up, it's a case of, like, hey, this is what you're missing. And that's something that we get in, um, that's something we get in other sports shown in, too, in a different way, where you have, like, a main character and a rival who are so, like, so advanced at the sport that um, both of them really appreciate what each, like, what the other brought them to. Mm-hmm. And right at the the end of the the episode, we see that 
maybe Pecco's also developing a knee injury. Yeah. Weird. Weird. And then he ices his knee and it turns out to be fine. Yep. Yep. No, no issues after that. And now it's time for the, the, so episode eight marks the, the prep episode. You know, this is the, the calm before the storm right before the, the next big table tennis championships, our final arc. Pecco is developing well, but his knees Turns out the icing was not the full, you know, the full healing. So, oh, no. you know, he's, he's dealing with stuff. Maybe you should take a salt tablet or something. <laughs> well, I hear if you, uh, if you step barefoot through the gas, all the natural energy goes through you and heals you. <laughs> <laughs> Pekka gets really into buying crystals and, like, back alleys. <laughs> Anime takes a very strange turn from here. <laughs> it's just, it just all becomes about, like, natural healing. <laughs> so... Yeah, everyone's getting prepped in, you know, Smile is exactly the same as he's always been. Pecco is basically the same as he's always been. And Ryuichi is being told, hey, what if you tried playing for yourself? And basically he just laughs and goes, uh, what? He's like, I've got a commercial to shoot, buddy. Yeah, I have a commercial. And also, have you seen my life? Like, he is killing himself with practice. I think this is the first time we see his, like, real practice regiment, which is, there are three robot arms playing ping pong with him while he is on, like, a fucking Super Mario-ass conveyor belt maze that he has to keep moving around in order to keep himself centered. And you see him, like, tumble and fucking flip and ram into a wall, and he yeah, immediately and like, jumps back up to play again, and it's so fucked. Like, half a second later, like, probably, like, five frames of animation or something like that, he runs back to the front. Um, he runs back to the ping pong table, and he starts playing again. Yeah, I think this is the first time that we see the commercial for, uh, cos- uh, for the new shoes from Kaio that are specifically built for playing on mats, because Japan is the only country that doesn't require playing on mats at a national level and so when they go to worlds they're like oh you're gonna have to get used to this and i think cosmos shoe commercial like much how our opinions are turned around on kong when we find out that he's a mama's boy when we see um cosmos shoe commercial our opinions turned around on him needing to be great from well he needs to be great he's representative of the number one school he's got a lot writing on him to oh like his grandfather's literally just exploiting him so he can sell shoes it just feels like this isn't right. Like, I don't feel good for him. And especially because, like, Kayo has decided that this tournament's going to be matted, right? They they specifically mat this tournament and then put the shoe commercial on. So everyone's going to buy their stupid idiot shoes. And then you get every character who's actually good at ping pong in the series saying, like, oh, yeah, the shoes don't really matter for mats. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, like everyone at Winga's school buys the shoes and he's just like, yeah, we don't. We don't change shoes for mats. Like, what the fuck? And everyone's like, oh, damn like, it. And then everyone looks crushed and he's like, uh, good shoes are nice. Like, and you can tell he's softening on these guys. Yeah, he's like, but also probably good that you have the shoes. Maybe it'll help, you know? Because he recognizes they're not all like super talented. So it's like, this may help you because you're not used to this and you're not the best players. Yeah. And like, he's taking he's taking the feelings of his team into account, which is like one of the big indicators that he's becoming a different person, basically. Mm-hmm. And Smile's like, why do I need stupid new shoes? And Pecco's also like, I don't need stupid new shoes. Oh, yeah, and then um, Kazuma doesn't get the shoes that he was in a commercial for, and the rest <laughs> yeah. of the team does. Yeah, everyone else wears the shoes, and Kazuma's like, yeah, I don't need these fucking whatever. 
Mm-hmm. And they and they see it as like a slight, like, hey, do you think you just did this to make us look like idiots? <laughs> I will say though, the shoes look really cool. I'd definitely wear purple sneakers like that. Yeah, totally. So uh we get sort of a look at the the way that the tournament's gonna go, because Peko and Wenga are up in the second round, and whoever wins there in the semifinals will end up against uh Ryuichi and then smile in the finals, because we know that those people are going to be the ones they face. Like, yeah. there's no question there. It just like two strong Kaio players and Smile's half of the bracket, and I was like, yeah, Smile's going to win. <laughs> yeah, everyone's just like, okay. Yeah, oh, Sonata, Sonata might win. Maybe. Mm-hmm. We might as well throw his name in the ring. Yeah. So, this is where we see Wenga's still like, hey, I still want to go home, right? I still want to go to China, but this is, there's no longer this revenge plot, basically, to get back in the national team. I just kind of want to see my mom again. Yeah. And we get our first match that's shown, which is Peko versus Wenga. And it's a complete turnaround from the game from last year's tournament. Wenga is no longer in control. Peko ends up in control. Oh, yeah. He beats him like he doesn't even lose a game. Yeah, he does not lose a game in the match. He like takes some points, right? It's not as cruel, but very clearly he's not the same. and. This is where we hear Smile very explicitly say, you know, like, Peko's my hero. Like, oh, the hero has returned. And I think they they have some stuff of Wenge, like, completely trashing his opponent before Peko to demonstrate, like, it's not just Wenge being complacent now that he realizes he can't go back to China. He's still very strong. He might be stronger than before. But Peko's finally found, like, what it takes for him to take ping pong seriously. Yeah. And so, yeah, and they both seem to love this match. They're both having a lot of fun. And this is where we finally see, like, the the hero speech from the actual mouth of where it came from. And that's um, Peko trying to, like, make Smile feel better after being bullied. He, like, takes on this hero persona. He's like, you know, if you ever need me, say my call and I'll appear when you need to from the planet Ping Pong. And, like, the reason that Smile got into Ping Pong is because Peko did it, and Peko was cool as shit to smile, right? Like, he was his hero, and so he's like, I want to be into this too, and he just also happened to be naturally good at it. Yeah. Uh, And I think, uh, before we leave the Wenge-Peko game, which I think is one of the big highlights of the show, right before he serves, I think what'll be his final, um, the final exchange in the tournament for him, he says pretty much exactly the thing he said in the first episode. It's like, why did I have to go to Japan? I wish I could have at least gone to Sweden or something where they play good ping pong. But this time it's like, the delivery is way different because we get a sense of like, oh well. Yeah, he, he, he doesn't care as much. Yeah. The last shot he takes, the ball turns into the nose of an airplane, which is sort of his symbol right before it flies into the net, sort of sealing the fact that he's going to be in Japan. Uh, and I thought that was a really, like, that was a really nice shot. Yeah, there are a lot of really nice moments that we can't cover them all, but like that one's really strong. So, here uh, at the top of episode 9 we're like, "Oh hey, Ryuichi's really fucked up again." Because Ryuichi's father literally commits suicide right in front of him. Like he takes him up to the top of this mountain and is basically like, "Look at how beautiful it is these birds can fly. Do you think that a human could do that?" And just fucking drops off of this sheer cliff. And Man, Ryuichi has put up with so much horseshit in his life, and it's really tragic to see how he's, like, continuing to be exploited. 
Yeah, there's a reason he looks like a 45-year-old man and he's like 16. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, I have seen so much life and all of it is bad. In a different sort of show, he would absolutely be like, deflecting all of this by just like, you know, kind of the, the shitty sort of like millennial humor of like, lol that owns whenever every yeah. something bad happens to him. Yeah, definitely. Like, if it weren't for Ping Pong, Ryuichi Cosmo would definitely be extremely online. Yeah, he'd just be like, lol, epic, I just fucking watched my dad die. <laughs> so, here we sort of see the big rivalry with um, Ryuichi, which is a, a, a kid by the name of Sonata, who is also on the Kaio team, the, the second in command. And the difficulty here is they look very similar, except Sonata has, like, big thick eyebrows. Yeah, and he's, like, a little lighter skinned. But Sonata is kind of betting a big chunk of his work on a match with Smile, because he's going to meet up with him on his bracket. And it, it's in the same way as Sakuma. It's like, I'm going to fucking show Ryuichi that he's full of shit. Yeah, but also Sonata has a crush on um, uh, Ryuichi's Yurie. cousin, who only, yeah, on Yurie, who only has feelings towards Ryuichi. So there's a sort of love triangle thing there. Yeah, sort of, but most of it's like, I'm just going to show Ryuichi that he needs to respect his teammates, and he should respect this girl who's clearly into him, and I'm going to steal them. I'm going to steal his teammates, I'm going to steal his girl. And then he didn't. And then he didn't, he just gets fucking downloaded by Smile. Uh, they refer to Smile's play as brutal and merciless as he, like, aims for people's weaknesses. Because, like, he basically throws the first game just so he can be like, oh, I figured out where he's weak, and just constantly hit to Sonata's middle. Yeah, they describe um, Smiles' um, style play as attacking chopper, and I looked that up, and apparently what that is is you mostly play defensive, but um, you just go in for big smashes when you see your opponent like not able to return them. Mm -hmm. And this is where he realized, like, oh, that's why like Yurie likes Ryuichi. Oh, that's why Ryuichi's the fucking head of the team. He's just, like, clearly so much better, because I can't do anything to this kid. Right. I think even more than that, it was Sonata saying like, oh, right, I forgot that Ryuichi's way better than me because he spends every day playing against three ping pong robots in a Mario Party conveyor belt. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm just here jacking off to Yurie. Uh, then Sakuma returns to the story, and now that he's out of Kaio, he's grown a pompadour, and he has a girlfriend, so you know, he's doing okay. So the girlfriend is, I think, where they messed up Sakuma's character arc here, because, like, she's extremely annoying, and I think, like, Yuasa did this on purpose. Like, she has a very grating... She has a very droning sort of voice, and, like, a little bit of that whiny kind of yeah. feeling. Yeah, exactly, and she has, like, a pet name for Sakuma, and it doesn't seem, like, too bad to us, but then in the dub, like, the director talked about, like, this was supposed to be annoying on purpose, so instead of Makun... She changed it to, like, boo-boo. <laughs> oh, the rules. And I think the point the point of a lot of these character arcs in ping pong is that, like, you need to figure out the level at which you're happy with um, whatever competitive pursuit you're doing. And by setting him up with someone who's very annoying, who doesn't really care that much about, we instead get the impression it's like, Sakuma dropped out of ping pong and now his life kind of sucks. Or it's like he's given up on himself. I see that, but I think that the... But also you see that, like, he still very clearly cares for this girl, right? It's, like, he's dismissive, but he's always been dismissive of everything. So his character just happens to be 
you know, the kind that's like a little bit rude, but like clearly they have something. Yeah, it just would have been nice if the person he ended up with wasn't just like one note, like the most annoying person in the world. <laughs> right, that wasn't the point. And so Sakuma decides to sort of have a heart to heart with uh, Ryuichi in the bathroom. Like, you know, now that he's out of it, he's like, oh, I understand why you did this. Yeah. It's really fucked up, et cetera, et cetera. He's practicing terrible bathroom etiquette. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's talking about the urinal. Hey. <laughs> so they end up discussing, like, table tennis, you know, motivation, things that, like, now Sakuma sees from a very different angle. You know, where hard work fits into talent. The, you know, the fact that it's like, I still respect you, Ryuichi, for everything you've done. You know, wish you the best. And it's basically like, hey, I know you don't play for yourself, but I hope you find some peace of mind, buddy. Because um, Ryuichi, throughout the last couple episodes, every time he's asked, like, hey, who do you play for? He just gives the answer that he knows that other people are looking for. Yeah. And, like, it's very transparent. He's not a good liar. So he, he can't be honest with himself, like, hey, I'm, I'm playing for, the, for my family and for honor and for, you know, all this other baggage that's been put on me. He's like, oh, you know, I play for myself or, you know, I play for the team. It's very, like, reality show contestant. So, yeah, but, like, Sakuma slides a, like, get well soon card under the bathroom door and leaves, basically. Yeah. So then we, we see Pekko as he's been going through these matches, uh, very clearly doing worse and worse with his knee. Overtraining has basically given him this handicap, and people are worried that it's going to, to basically end his career because, um, Oba, you know, the, the woman who's been training him also had to get out because of a knee injury that just fucking destroyed her life. And Pekko's like, Nope. <laughs> Pekko's like, yep, I'm going to keep going. Like, he's he's popping painkillers and stuff, but he's like, yep, I'm just going to take this in stride. And like, I like that he still retains the sort of immaturity of like, nothing bad's ever going to happen to me. I'm Pekko. Right. He, I think he literally says like, I'm the hero. I'm supposed to win. I'm the damn hero, you know. A smile needs me there. And he like, understands yeah. that now. And we also like, see Pekko talk about how like, the fact, the reason he calls smile smile is not because he never emotes but because whenever he played ping pong he would he would do nothing but smile like it was the one place where he like seemed to feel anything yeah and like he stopped smiling by the start of the series because pekka was starting to coast and smile was having to like hold back on him right and so you know pekka helped break smile out of his shell and the name is a reminder of that yeah, and I, I think the sort of um, symbiotic relationship between the two protagonists is, as I mentioned at the start, something that we also see in Tech on Kingcrete. And it's a really interesting facet of their character dynamic, because Pekko's the hero. He's like the one who's supposed to rescue Smile. But without Smile um, pushing him by becoming this very, like, invincible robot character, then Pekko probably would have just end up, ended up coasting for the rest of his life. Yeah. So what I'm saying is that they're, they basically should, when they both get cars, they should put a Who Rescued Who bumper sticker on the back. And just, <laughs> replace, and just have a ping pong paddle instead of a dog paw. <laughs> so, next up <laughs> is the match between Pekko and Ryuichi. I just rewatched that today, and god, the choreography on that one is so good. Like, it's like the best in the, the, best in the series. It's unbelievable. So everyone's like, oh, you know, take care of your knee, don't play so hard. Pekko's like, fuck you, full-on attack mode, you know? <laughs> we see, again, sort of this this ide ideological clash between Pekko and Kazuma, like, the concept of a hero 
the ability to fly, you know, as a person, some talent versus hard work kind of thing, you know, and we and we see uh, Ryuichi very clearly framed as like a dark force, someone fighting against Peko's heroism. Yeah. And then also before the match, um, Tamara gives Peko like a special paddle that he can um, twiddle back and forth so he can either make the ball go faster, or put more spin on it. Yeah. And, and it twiddles very fast so that yeah. he doesn't like he doesn't um, show his attack as easy. Yeah. So it gives us like it feels like it fits with his playstyle, which is he basically like it's just really <laughs> unpredictable. Yeah, he's super aggressive yeah. and really unpredictable. Yeah. And we again see like a clash between Peko's love for the game and sort of uh, Ryuichi's isolation for the for the sake of this craft. You know, he's not allowed to be vulnerable. He's not allowed to do anything but win. And Becker's just like, fuck yeah, have fun. Yeah. And like the way that they were trained is like this nature versus nurture sort of thing. And like, you know, Peko's brought up on love, Cosmo's brought up on pain. All of this is just constantly clashing. And Cosmo starts out on top. He takes the first two games of the match. And Peko is like down on his luck and he remembers Smile's words about how Peko becomes a better player when he has fun. And he knows that, you know, the better the opponent, the higher he is able to fly. So he's not going to worry about the details. He's not going to worry about trying to play against someone smart because that's not what he's good at. He's going to play to what makes him have fun. And he fucking goes ultra instinct here. <laughs> yeah. And then like, uh, Smiles Hum certainly turns into like a gorgeous piece of music. And that's the most payoff I've ever seen in a soundtrack. Yeah, like, the, the hero song has been coming back episode after episode, and finally it's, like, this really weird sort of, like, pop song. Yeah. Like, the, the instrumentation's super weird, and the way that it, like, builds, and just the melody and everything's super weird. But it totally fits, because it becomes now Peko, like, basically forcing light into Ryuichi's world. Yeah, and also with the hero song, now that Peko's finally become, like, he's finally gotten to the top of his game, we also see, like, this is what Smile was thinking of the whole time. This is his image of a hero. Yeah, and they talk about how it's like he loves the sport so much he can't hold it in. Like, he literally radiates a joy by the fact that he just gets to play this baller-ass game of ping pong. Yeah. And, yeah, he it's like Ryuichi then because of all this looks back on his life and he remembers one point in his life where he wasn't so ruined <laughs> like he remembers the first time he was learning how to play ping pong from his dad and the joy that brought and it it frees him in a lot of ways like being able to remember because someone is so much better at them specifically because they're having fun reminds them that like oh right ping pong is also a game yeah and it's it's great. It's really good. Yeah, it's like Peko not only tries to rescue Smile, but he also sort of accidentally rescues a bunch of other players on his like way on the way up on the bracket. Yeah. And yeah, so Peko wins the match. And so the finals is Peko versus Smile. And I think um, the last episode isn't as much like who's going to win this match as much as a victory lap for Peko. Yeah, because like we, we know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we get it. But it's it's the way that they show it and like some of the it's oh it's so good because literally the beginning smiles talking to joe and it's like hey you know how you asked me if i would play against someone who had a weak knee well fuck that i'm gonna do it because 
heroes don't have weaknesses. You know, calling back to seven episodes ago, this throwaway line. <laughs> yeah. And it's so, it's so, so good because he knows that Pekko will always give it his all, prove himself to be the hero. And this is where we get, like, the full story of how, you know, Smile and Pekko's relationship started. And now, you know, we see how much adoration Smile has for Pekko and how much she loves his friend. And now it's like, I don't need to wait for him to return. He's here. And... I can fucking play against you exactly as I want. And, like, it pushes him to the point where he's, like, given this robotic shell and it just breaks him apart, revealing underneath, you know, the human that he is. He's he's finally able to enjoy ping pong at the same level as his best friend. Yeah, and before this, we see a scene where, like, Peko and Smile are looking at a human anatomy book. And then um, Peko puts, like, a flashlight underneath his hand and it shows all the veins and stuff. And then Smile does the same thing. And um, he says, like, oh, you can see the red blood in your veins. And that's an overarching series metaphor for no matter how much Smile is treated like a robot or even he himself feels like I'm not a human, like I'm I'm an emotionless automaton that despite all of that, he uh, he is a human like everyone else. Right. That is Pekko's heroism is humanizing him when everyone else is just like, yeah, whatever, robot, fucking do what I want, dance for me. It's not even that as much as it's either that or like this robot is really strong. Like he has no weaknesses. I can't beat him. Right. And so, yeah, they, they have the match and we, we also get a, a really charming moment between Joe Oba and, um, grandpa Cosma where they like, it's very clearly they've all gone very different ways in their life, but they can like riff on each other. And they very clearly like, you know, they, they have the same rapports they always did, like, their children again because of this game. Yeah. It's it's a very cute dynamic, especially when it's, like, <laughs> when uh, Grandpa Cosmo shows up and he's, like, talking about, like, these deals and stuff. It's like, uh, and Joe's just like, you remember that I let you win, right? And <laughs> we've never told anyone. And he's like, yeah, thanks for that. Keep it down. <laughs> like, it's very clear that while he is very... Cruel maybe isn't the right word, but he's very um, serious, you know, about his career and, like, trying to bring other people up. There is a heart underneath it. He's just, like, a really, really shitty dad. <laughs> and so the game ends, and, I mean, it doesn't show us what happened, but we yeah, know what we happened. Get, yeah, we get a big montage of all of the main characters playing ping pong as they were kids and having a blast. Yeah, and so... Uh, we get sort of a, a fast forward in the time. We get an epilogue where Smile has become a coach at the Tamara Table Tennis Hall, where he's smiling, he's emoting, and he's still just playing video games and not doing what he what's asked of him. So you know, some things never change. He's just yeah, he like coaches five percent of the time, and even then, it's like, hey, check out this cool serve. Yeah, he's like, I can show you something really epic, dudes, and they're like, yay! It's like coach them like a fucking teacher. No, I mean, if I was in middle school and my mom dropped me off at um, at the ping pong dojo so I could learn a sport, I'd really appreciate having a coach like uh, smile, honestly. Oh, sure. Yeah. And then Cosmo uh, appears to talk to him. He's dressed up. You know, he's he's got uh, he's got hair again. And we we learned that, yes, Pekka won the game. Uh, Ryuichi was kicked off the national team at some point. And Winga ended up in the Olympic circuit again, but on the Japanese team. Yeah, and he changed 
he, when he was naturalized, he made his Japanese name Sujido after his high school, which was really nice. Yeah, and um, and you know, Ryuichi kind of has a moment like, shit, like everyone else is like really happy, and I still kind of feel unfulfilled, and like everything sucks. He had a lot more to work through though, so I don't blame him. Yeah, because like smiles, like oh, I'm just gonna go into teaching. I'm gonna do what I want, man. Ping pong's fun, but I ain't doing that anymore. <laughs> That's not my life. <laughs> and Pecco is living his dream where he's playing in the big leagues and still like eating Oreos <laughs> before a game. <laughs> and uh, Sakuma's having uh, a third child and working hard at his own job. You know, everyone, everyone kind of gets an ending. And we didn't talk about it a lot, but um, with the the wandering student who we set up eight episodes ago, has been popping up occasionally, like, looking back on his life, like, hey, I wonder what's going on in ping pong again, like, and by the time he reaches um, Pekko and Smile's match, he realizes, oh, you know what, I really did love ping pong. I, I you know, I traveled the world, I kind of I was gave up salty. everything, and yeah, I was just like, I was really salty about everything, and yeah, I, I want to get back into the game. And we see him in the background of the, the shot where Pekko's in the Olympics, so he's either like an aide to the Japanese team, or he made it up there. So that's like this own little like tiny story that's been happening the whole time as we see him like get bored with everything else until he finally returns to ping pong. Yeah, I wish that when people lost really bad at video games, instead of um, instead of complaining about it on Reddit, that they just go to the mountains and then the beach and then travel the world for like three years and then come back. It's like, oh, video games rule, actually. <laughs> Uh, see, that's the better arc than what typically happens, which is they just, like, say a racial slur on stream and then get <laughs> fired. <laughs> you know what? You're right. Life should be more like an anime. <laughs> Middle school me was right. <laughs> so, we've brought it up multiple times now um, throughout our talking of the, the contents of the story. But... Let's dig into just how ping pong separates itself from the other sort of shonen sports series. Yeah, and I want to emphasize that this doesn't mean that, like, just by nature of being different from normal sports series, it's superior, because I think there's, like, really incredible shonen sports series, like Slam Dunk, Ice Shield 21. Uh, I don't know if Rookies qualifies as shonen, but... Um... Rookies is shonen, but I don't know if it's also, like a conventional sports thing, so... But yeah, like, yeah, we're, we're not saying, oh, sports series are bad because there are plenty of sports series I like that are more conventional, it's just, this is how ping pong stands out because it is, it's marketed as a sane and it's for a slightly different audience who maybe need something different out of this than just, like, the, the, the entertainment that a lot of sports shown in is focused on. Yeah. Yeah, no, we're not making- we're, look, we're not making judgment calls, right? We both like Kakegurui. We we can't do that. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've read too much trash in my day to say that I'm the authority. But, uh, so I guess the first thing I wanted to talk about was that usually in a sports shonen, as a character develops, their skill of the game increases as, at almost like a 100% like synchronicity rate. Um, like if you take- uh, I'm going to use a lot of examples from My Shield 21 because um, that's the one I'm most familiar with. But um, the main character in Ice Shield 21, Sena, is this very sort of wimpy, um, non-confrontational person who happens to be very good at, like, running because he has to dodge bullies all the time. And then as he gains more confidence in himself, he becomes better as a running back. 
And then, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, in Rookies, as the as the team takes baseball more seriously and, like, they become less, like, screw-around delinquents and more screw-around delinquents to some purpose, they become better at baseball. Yeah, and, like, they're they're very clearly, like, doing all this extra work in order to overcome things that they have issues with. And, like, you also see it in, like, Haikyuu, where, you know, you have Hinata who has mad hops, but has, like, nothing to do with them. So literally his his whole arc is every time he's he's brought up against something that he has to fight against he literally learns the skill to fight against it you know it matches that same sort of like shonen formula that you also see in like fighting stuff you know like your dragon ball z's your naruto's things like that and for a lot of characters in ping pong as they develop as a character they realize that they don't have to be good at ping pong like smile's entire thing was finding someone who would respect him for the fact that he doesn't want to take ping pong seriously yeah, and, like, like everyone improves in their own way, but, like, Smile's character, like, develops in a backwards in comparison to how good he gets, because he, like, continues to fall back into this, oh, I'm a robot, no one cares about what I think, I'm just doing this because I'm being told that this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, and in a way, I'd say that this development is a lot more accurate with regards to sports psychology or like the psychology of competing than a normal sports shonen because you can't force yourself to train in something. Like, you can't force yourself to be great at something. It has to be something sustainable for you. And I think the reason that Peko, in the end, becomes the best player out of all five of them is because he loves ping pong the most out of anyone. And like, they, they do bring that up in the series itself where it's like, so many people leave because they've been so devastated by this game, right? Like, it's not just about, like, being good at it. It's like, you need to be able to have fun, or else this just isn't a sustainable thing for you. You know, everyone is constantly, like, basically having these, like, do-or-die moments, and it's like, when they can't come out on top, it just, like, completely sends their life careening down a different path. Like, Sakuma literally gives up everything that he's worked for, effectively for nothing like just to be told you're not that good at ping pong dude and like it still ends up okay for him yeah and like peko definitely has like a more traditional arc right with like a few deviations like just how fucking hard he goes in on quitting every time and i think like we said before dragon is the protagonist of his own very like sad dramatic series and he he gets his own show, his own arc where maybe he's you know not like you know he's not the protagonist but he like learns to love this thing because he's spent so long like playing for other people he finally understands what it means to play for himself yeah and i think you also see the um he's arguably also a fairly common sports shonen villain in terms of the person who is very strong but doesn't enjoy it and gets taught to enjoy it by the protagonist. Like the, um, I don't remember his name, but the red guy from Kuroko no Basuke. As, like, Kuroko beats him, he becomes a guy who enjoys playing basketball again. And so there were some similarities um, between Dragon and that sort of character. And, yeah, so, like, that, like, that's the big thing about Ping Pong. Like, by the end, a lot of characters just, like, quit or, like, are like, ah, I don't need to do this professionally. Like, Ryuichi's sort of like, maybe this really isn't for me, right? And Smile's given up, Sakuma's been forced to give up, and now he's doing his own thing. Like, a lot of people end up happier by the fact that they need to leave ping pong. 
And Ryuichi's just barely getting to that point by the end of the series, but you see, like, everyone else, like, they've moved on. Sakuma's got a family, you know, he's working hard in his own job. Smile's become a teacher, and he's happy where he is, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then the other major difference between um, ping pong and, like, a conventional sports shonen is that it's not really, we don't get that much attention on how you play ping pong. Like, um, Aishil 21 has, like, I don't know, probably like 50 chapters devoted to like, here's how this position works in football. And here's how this technique goes. And like, this is the, this is how I do this. So I can throw the ball real good or something like that. And in ping pong, we basically get like, as soon as a character shows up, we get five seconds of splash screen of here's how this character plays ping pong. And then it doesn't explain it. And we don't really get much information. Like we don't even get much of a player's personality, like informing their style yeah, it's the opposite way. Their style inform- like informs their personality. Yeah. And we get a little bit of that with, like, Sakuma. And even with Sakuma, it's like, I don't actually have the style. I just did this specifically so I could mess with you. Like, the most of that we get is Peko and the the twiddle paddle that he gets uh, for the Kong ma- for the um, dragon match. That's, so that's part of my argument for why I think the, one of the successes of ping pong is that's a narrative that you can easily transplant to other things because it's not too concerned with making sure the audience knows like all the nuances of ping pong. Right. Like the ping pong is the, is in some ways like the set dressing. It just happens to work really well because ping pong is a very competitive sport. Certainly once you get further outside, like the West, I feel like it's taken a lot more seriously and it's a, it's a one-on-one thing, which means that these people have to come at each other from, from their own levels. And not against, you know, the, like a full team like we've talked yeah. about before. Yeah, and in some way there's no one to help you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, and, and as we talked before, we have this, I think, better discussion of how talent and hard work go hand in hand. Because so much of, I feel like you look at, I don't know, Haikyuu, you look at Kuroko, things like that. It's like, the talented people always rise to the top, regardless of what they do. And everyone who does hard work and tries really hard gets, like, a moment to shine and then fades into the background. Yeah. And ping pong is just, like, it's saying, like, it's not just a bucket called talent and a bucket called untalented people who work hard. It's, like, there's all sorts of ways to approach training and, like, competing. And uh, you just need to find a way that works for you long term. Yeah, and, like, Sakuma, like, ruins his life trying to be so good at ping pong when he doesn't have the talent for it. And so the the fact that they say, like, you just don't have talent for it is, like, so different in comparison to if that same thing happened to Smile or Peko or Kazuma, right? Like, I think the idea is that, you know, you can put all this work into something and still not be good at it. It's about being able to to balance that and understand your own limits. Yeah. And it even says, like, even if you're not that good, it's fine. Like, it's not a reflection of your, like... Of your worth as a human being. Right. Uh, like they say before, it's really creepy to dedicate yourself so much to a sport. I mean, I don't think I'd want to hear that from someone in the anime industry, but just in terms of like, you put in a huge amount of work in uh, anime and things like that. Like the schedules are nuts. So someone saying like, oh, it's not good to get too invested in this as they're spending like 20 hours <laughs> right, a day. As you're literally to get forced to be outfit. invested in it. Yeah. All right, um, moving on, uh, we'll talk about um, the concept of the hero, because that's what Yuasa really built this adaptation around. And I think in some ways, like, each of the character views hero as a different set of skills. 
Smiles is pretty detailed because he's expecting the hero to not only be really strong, but also someone who's always available for him. Yeah, and that's like, when we talked about it a little bit, that's sort of the conflict that he has, and that's why he's not smiling anymore, is like, Pekko has learned to kind of like coast on his natural talent, and so it's like, I've become better than him, so I have to reduce myself in order to still try to have this fun, but there's nothing fun in holding back. Like, he gets that, and everyone tells him that, but he is waiting for Pekko to understand that, because he doesn't want to be the one that's like, he doesn't want to disrupt his hero, you know? Yeah. And I think one of the reasons that Smile relies on Pekko so much is that when, if he beats Pekko, he's not going to say, oh, you're really strong, I'm not playing with you again. But Pekko's going to say, like, wow, let's play another game, that was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not going to, like, learn anything from it. And yeah, so that's, like, that's that hero angle. And a lot of the other characters have sort of denied heroes as a concept. Yeah. Dragon, I feel like, has a narrower, has a um, more simplistic view of a hero because in his match with Pekko, he's basically defining a hero as someone who can beat me. Yeah, and, like, he he clearly comes out and states before, uh, like, earlier, like, there are no heroes. There is only reality. Like, he has given up on this concept because he has seen so much shit through his life. Like, I think he very much saw his father as a hero at some point, but his father could not handle the pressure being put on him and committed suicide right in front of him. So he, like, literally sees his hero die. Yeah. And because his father talked about, um talked about people not being able to fly he uses the he doesn't use the sort of common rider like metaphor that smile likes but instead sees it more as like someone who can give me wings and like lift me out of this toilet stall which we see visually represented towards the end of that match yeah and like with peko peko at the beginning is like heroes those, those are like the things in manga right <laughs> those are the thing in comic books so like he he understands the concept of a hero but he doesn't have any personal heroes or the understanding that he himself is a hero to someone. Like, they're an abstracted concept for him, and because it doesn't play into, like, his very insular worldview, he's just like, I don't really think about it. Yeah. Uh, and I think, like, as he remembers how much Smile trusted in him to be his hero, he ends up, like, viewing it much the same way Smile does. Yeah, he's like, oh, and he, and he recognizes, oh yeah, I'm the hero to someone. And, and he recognizes, like, his influence because um, Sakuma says the same thing. You were a hero to everyone in the class because you were so good at ping pong and you were so cool, right? Like, it, it's this recognition that, like, not that heroes exist, but, like, you know, the way that people implant these ideas onto heroes affects, you know, affects them. And Pekko understands, like, how other people see him now instead of being so self-absorbed. Yeah. Uh, and then I think with Wenge, it's not as much that he's looking for someone to save him, but he's he sort of pins his hopes on this um, airplane that we see represent him a lot. So a hero to him is more of the opportunity for him to go back home. Yeah, and he sort of, as he loses, he recognizes, like, you know, he, he he's much better about learning to give up his hero, right? Like, he's not so devastated by his, like, well... I need to continue to work at it. You know, he's in a way he's kind of, it's like he recognizes that he is his own hero. Yeah. You know, he's he's very clearly working for himself in in his ultimate goals even though he does work with his students eventually, but like 
he recognizes that if he pins his feelings on anyone else, he's not going to get the results he needs. Because he plays for something different than everyone else. Yeah, so in a way that's sort of perpendicular to the hero narratives we see with like the other four characters. Yeah, and it, it's just a it's a phrase that pops up so much and then like by the end encapsulates Peko like Peko is a hero to everyone. You know, he is someone you can rally behind because he's having so much fun playing amidst a bunch of people who have never felt fun ever in their life. <laughs> that is, yeah, that's true. That's basically what unites everyone except Peko. Or learn how to feel fun and accept fun. Yeah. So, something that kind of goes along with this this heroism idea is the the cost of success and how it affects all of these characters very differently. We're still focusing on sort of our core five because they have the the strongest, most definable arcs, and we see how much that they are they can either embrace or get really fucked up by this idea that they have to succeed. Yeah, and I think. Pekko is the only person in the series who takes I have to succeed and spins it in a positive enough way that he's able to use it to, like, fuel his gameplay. Right, like, he goes back and forth on it, but, like, by the time he solidifies as a character, it's like, success means winning, and winning means having fun. So he's able to spin it in a way that's positive, like, I'm going to succeed and that's going to make me happy because this is what I want. And no one else has anything that simple. (laughs) Because Smile never wanted to succeed in the first place. He doesn't care. He wants this to be a game. And he is forced into it, which, like we discussed before, literally drags his character development backwards. Yeah. Through who he became because of Pekka, where he's like, okay, I'm going back to this whole robot persona thing. I'm becoming... You know, the thing that people want me to be. Yeah, I'm basically retreating to the place I um, retreated to before Pekko was with me and I got bullied a lot. Yeah, so it affects him super negatively. And this may be, like, the first time that he's like, I really need a hero to appear, right? Like, Pekko has disappeared as a hero, but he's like, I really need this person to appear because I'm really not okay right now. <laughs> yeah. And then you see that in the other characters as well, like um, like Wenga, the cost of his success is putting all this weight on his own shoulders, like, I need to get back there and show them that, you know, they messed up by throwing me off the Chinese team. I need to succeed at this, I need to get out of here. And I think, I think what really brings him into such a well-formed character is because we're initially thinking like, oh, he just really wants to, I, sorry, I said basically this exact same thing before, it says like, Oh, he just wants to go back so he, the the rest of his Chinese teammates recognize him as as good as they are. And then it turns out he has really justifiable reasons for wanting to go back to China. So we feel like he doesn't just want to be succeed at ping pong for the purposes of like being a ping pong champion, but like there's a genuine cost to failure for him as well as a cost for success. And yet, he is the most graceful loser in the entire cast, where he seems to understand that like, just because he lost doesn't mean the end of the world. It means he just needs to push back his plans a little bit. It's like, I, I still can't. I still want to succeed at a higher level, but I'm not there yet. And I think part of that is that he's already lost very badly by the time we were introduced to him because he's performed consistently poor enough that he got kicked off the Chinese national team. 
Mm -hmm. So in a way, he's already partway through his development where everyone else is just starting at this in episode one. And then, uh, man, we could talk about it again, but Dragon is a fuck. Yeah, I think we've gone over it pretty well at this point. Yeah, but like just he lives in such a high pressure environment where like he's never allowed a moment of weakness. And that's why he spends all his time in the damn bathroom is like. It's literally the only time he can he can be weak because no one's looking at him. Yeah. No one expects anything out of him. Except when, like, Yuri just wanders in on him in the bath sometimes. Right. But, like, still, like, he doesn't seem to have that same relationship with Yuri. It's like, he can sort of be just who he is amongst her. Yeah, I could sort of compare that to Smile. I think Dragon and Smile are the two characters who have issues and arcs that are the closest to each other. Because I think even though he doesn't realize it until he loses to Pekko, that Dragon really just needs someone to accept him even if he fails. And he doesn't have anyone like that at Kaio or in his family. I mean, he has Yurie, but he doesn't rec- he doesn't realize it. Yeah, and like, Pekko just makes it realize it because it's a peer, right? It's someone who has to get to him at his level and then says, hey, it's okay, buddy. And, uh, man, Sakuma, huh? <laughs> yeah, I just wrote in the show notes, Sakuma is fucking dead. Yeah, because as soon as it's like, yeah, you're not that good, it's just like, oh, well, guess I need to quit everything I knew, start working, and like, you know, I have to live this completely different life now. And it's just, yeah, Sakuma, like, puts his all into everything, and then it's just like, yep, you, you can't do it, buddy. Sorry. Yeah. Um, time to repair some roads. So... Another thing that really stood out to me on rewatch was the particular relationship between Pekko and Smile. Pekko and Smile's relationship, we talked about a little bit. They sort of complement each other. Pekko needs Smile because he needs someone to play for, otherwise he's going to get complacent. And Smile needs Pekko to essentially protect him from other people who are expecting too much of him. Yeah, because Pekko, uh, consistently throughout this series is the only one who like doesn't have an expectation for him like he's just like hey this is my friend Sakuma's like oh this is my rival for becoming more successful you know dragon season was like oh I need to recruit this person to become more successful save my team to you know continue my job like Joe everyone maybe Oba you know sees him as just like a dude because She's she's like the most level-headed character in the entire thing that's just like... Hey. Yeah, and she's really familiar with Penguin Smile's relationship because they've been playing at her dojo for so long. Yeah, and so it's just... It's a situation where Pekko and Smile have... I think you said it before, a symbiotic relationship, right? They need each other in a lot of ways and not in a way that's like codependent. Yeah, it's not toxic, but um, they really just fill in each other's weaknesses. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's a really, I mean, in a genre like sports where I feel like, you know, the the team dynamic is done really well, the the sort of intrapersonal sort of things, you know, just focusing on the relationship between two friends who really do care about each other so much is like really good. The the focus on male relationships I feel like is something that just in general like a lot of media doesn't always get right yeah and I think 
Yeah, because in um, a lot of sports series, it's more about dedication to the team than dedication to each other. It's about self-sacrifice, and a lot of ping pong is saying, like, self-sacrifice is not a viable long-term strategy. Right, and so, yeah, Peko and Smile have this relationship that's just, like, it's it's so strong as a media thing, and and again, I just don't feel like that's shown off that much as, like, a very genuine, friendly relationship where these two people complement each other so well, and it's not, like, edging on this sort of, like, bait. Yeah, exactly. Which I think is, like, something that can fall into, but, you know, and especially with, like, as, like, toxic as, like, dude relationships can be, especially in sports circles where you're expected to be, like, you know, kind of the, the, the proto-jock, it's, it's, it's a really nice thing to see. Yeah, I think occasionally if things like uh, Megalobox or Yuri on Ice, but the, the trainer-athlete relationship is a lot different than, an, like, athlete-athlete relationship, because yeah. there is, like, an inherent mm-hmm. power dynamic there. Yeah, this is just a peer-to-peer sort of thing. And it's it's beautiful, I think, honestly. Yeah. No, it's really nice. So, I was surprised when you put this down on a discussion topic, because this is a thing I am not familiar with at all, but Ping Pong's popularity with the pro-Smash scene... Yeah, um, so there's a couple of Smash commentators called Scar and Toph, and as far as I can tell, they're the ones who started bringing it to pro Smash Bros. Uh, like, they regularly, like, tweet about how much they love ping pong, uh, and, like, recommend it. Like, they, I think, uh, one of them went on record as saying, like, ping pong will specifically make you better at Smash. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then it really caught on to the community, like, they did... I think it was for Summit or something, they did a parody of the scene from episode one where Wenge is listening to to Smile and Peko playing ping pong with, like, GameCube controllers instead. Uh-huh. Um, and there's, like, a ranking for a... Um, it's like the player rankings from New York City. Uh, someone did art of, like, the five top Smash Bros. players, like, dressed as ping pong characters in that style. And I think it is because, in terms of, like, sustainable development and competition... Smash Bros. and uh, what we see in the narrative of Ping Pong are really close to each other. Yeah, we, we talked about this a little bit before, but, like, it's set up in such a way that you could have any real, like, one-on-one competitive thing take the place of Ping Pong in this case, and it still comes off with a very similar vibe, and Smash Bros. is very much that. You know, fighting games is very much that. Like, that scene really compliments the you know that and like the fact that in some ways like you know doing your practice and everything like doesn't always mean that you're going to be the better person some of it comes down to like some people are better at reading things some people have the ability to you know react fucking frame perfect yeah, some people can hit confirm more accurately or things like that right like you know you, you everyone loves that the the classic moment with the uh the the chun li parries you know it, it's one of those things like that takes either an incredible amount of luck or a an incredible amount of skill to be able to do that consistently in a way that like you can't just train for that so yeah it it, it fits a, it's a, it fits a similar narrative and i think um i'm more familiar with competitive magic the gathering than i am with smash bros but like a lot of what i hear pro players talking about in order in terms of like how you become a pro player is you don't 
go to every tournament and get burned out. Like you find a relationship with magic that doesn't make you feel like you're forcing yourself to go to a, to go to a job. And I think I see a lot of those similar themes in ping pong. The last thing I wanted to go over is I've heard a lot of people describing ping pong as a coming of age narrative. And frankly, I don't really think it is. Coming of age, I don't think is the right word for it. It's definitely a series about sort of like self-reflection and self-understanding in a way that mirrors what a lot of coming of age stories do. But I don't think it in and of itself is a like proper coming of age story. Because a lot of these characters don't develop in a way like, oh, you know, this is what it means to be older and wiser and, you know, like, more mature. Like, again, some of these characters don't change at all in terms of their, like, overall character. Yeah, and I think part of a coming-of-age narrative is starting with a more simplistic view and developing it into something more complicated. And these characters, like, um, as an example, like, would you agree with me that, like, Planet With is a coming-of-age narrative? We have this character who's like, oh, I'm gonna go on these assignments and get all the, um, I forgot, get all the orbs so that I can have revenge for my planet. And at the end, he's got this much more um, reasonable view of the whole conflict. Yeah, yeah. there's there's a difference in, like, the, the nuance of understanding with those sorts of narratives, I feel like. You know, it, it's, it's about recontextualizing things and, like, there is some of that here. Like, Pecco gets a little bit about it, but I don't think it's in the same way, right? Like, it's about coming back to what he always knew was true. More so than, like, really radically changing his worldview. Maybe in the case of Dragon? Even Dragon, I think, knew that... We hear him specifically say, like... Say to the effect, like, I know that what I'm doing is not good for me. Like, I hate doing this, but he needed outside influence to get him to break it. Yeah, so, like, I think there are similar steps being taken within the story of Ping Pong, but I don't think it is a proper coming-of-age narrative. Especially because we use Child, Pecco, and Smile as an example of how good their relationship used to be, and I don't think a coming-of-age narrative would say, like, it would really be nice if we could go back to the way it was when we were kids. Yeah, so I, yeah, I, I think it, it more properly fits into sort of, like, Psychological is not the right word, but, like, it, it's more of, like, a, a character focus kind of thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's a character drama. There's there's still more to learn, but it's not the same as what you might come to for a coming-of-age story. Yeah. So, before we go, I thought we'd go over some fan mail. The first one comes in from The Toughest Bean and says... A recurring theme of ping pong is how the pressure to win can be toxic when it consumes love of the game. In that sense, it feels like it has more in common with a card game anime than other sports anime. Also, another theme is the necessity of friends and community, even in a solo sport. And that, that's also, I think, something that can can break away from like your trip, typical shonen narratives. Because like the thing that makes people better at sports in like Haikyuu and stuff is wholly giving yourself in to the sport, right? Like, you know, eat, sleep, breathe, volleyball, or whatever. Yeah. And in this one, it's like, yeah, this just ruins people's lives. Yeah. you Like, even in, even have the nuances of, like, in Haikyuu or something, like, you train, you train the hell out of yourself for two weeks, and then you're better at volleyball. And in Ping Pong, Pecco does that, and he injures his knee. Yeah, so it's, that definitely comes off in case, I... <laughs> 
card game anime seems like a weird choice no, for, actually, for describing that. I actually agree that, with this, but... because you see it like every card game anime. It's like Yu-Gi-Oh! is like the problem with Kaiba is that he takes card games too seriously. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no. And I think of like Wixos, and I think, oh yeah, that's just that's just the text of Wixos. Yeah. So. But like, the um, Seal of War Chelkos arc, for example, is... Yugi like fails because he starts he starts like getting trying to get every advantage to win and using the seal which is portrayed in the narrative as bad. And I think in like card fight as well, um the main character has access to the superpower, but every time he uses it he becomes more of a dick to his opponents. And uh yeah. I think it's it's maybe just a weird thing to think about, but yes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, like the necessity of friends and community even a smaller sport is like an important topic that gets brought up too. Like you have to have these connections outside because otherwise you become dragon, you know? Yeah. Or you even become smile. Who's only connection for most of the series is to his coach. Right. Like he, yeah, he separates himself from Pekka, which only stands to hurt him more. Uh, the next one comes from friend of the show, QB and says, I think it's important to acknowledge that at the time ping pong aired, the manga it was based on was almost two decades old. It's not incorrect to say that although Yuasa definitely left his signature style on the anime, he was also probably inspired by the incredibly distinct art of the manga during his formative years as an animator. This is why I feel that this adaptation, more than any other, succeeds in naturally blending individualistic styles together, because really, Ping Pong is such a legendary series that its influence was always there. Yuasa was the perfect artist to expand on the world of Ping Pong, and also do the manga's bold rejection of conventional paneling justice while creating his own syncretic vision of the series. Yeah, I pretty I pretty much agree with that. Yeah, it, it's the case where, like, Yuasa, I think, in, a, in an interview said something like he wasn't sure uh, about doing this adaptation because he wasn't sure what he could bring to the table. Yeah. But I think that once he did, it seems like a very natural choice for him. I think it took someone like Yuasa, who's okay with foregoing a lot of the um, a lot of the conventions of anime, to do things like bring all these panels to here, have some of the panels like move in static animation loops, and then draw the viewer's attention to another panel. And I think without the experience he had from working on other unconventionally animated um, movies and things like that, it wouldn't have been as successful as it was. Yeah, I think it. It, it ends up being like this kind of weird match made in heaven of director and uh, and show that like is hard to see compared in other like even in other like anime like sometimes a director's really good at a thing but like in the way that they are both very distinct creators it's hard to see you know something else quite like it. So the next one comes from Onlaren and asks. Do you think it was a good idea to try adapting such a fantastical sport for real life when we obviously couldn't do the things they show? Because when I see people trying to play ping pong, it reminds me of people trying to play Quidditch. I would definitely watch more, like, live-action ping pong if, like, suddenly everything turned black and white and the characters started- and, like, the players started distorting. And we had very, like, detailed backstories for all of them, and, um... But if it's just two people hitting a ball back and forth, it, I think I'd probably lose interest. There aren't enough sports stories in in ping pong <laughs> like you get for like baseball and stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's like a there's a couple, right? I've definitely heard of a couple. Yeah, but like, so I got the chance to go and see the the Chinese team training for the 2008 Olympics when they were being hosted there, and watching them practice was the first time I really 
respected ping pong as like a sport instead of just a game because the the cramped spaces and the way that they have to overcome this like self-imposed hurdle in order to play this game as intended was like really jaw-dropping in an amazing way like when you're really good at ping pong i think that that shows a lot easier than like if you look at baseball and yeah, stuff right that's definitely what I, that's just what i was thinking like it, it's very clear how much work you are putting in and how much you have to put in you know you have to do every match. yeah like if you're if you're good at ping pong then like you're you're moving fluidly and like making moves that other people just wouldn't be able to make period in baseball if you're good at baseball then your batting average goes up by like 0.3 and it's like yes being able to hit it is cool but like the way that the the ping pong ball is small enough and like aerodynamic enough that you have to do some real bullshit stuff to be able to hit it like really improves that watchability in a way that like it it does sometimes feel like magic you know yeah and i think that is one thing and uh as an argument against the idea that ping pong could have been with any like competitive two player sport because it's so easy to translate visually this is what like this person's really good at ping pong Next one comes from Waffle Man and says, When people discuss Yuasa's body of work, it doesn't seem like ping pong comes up a lot. I sometimes forget that it was a Yuasa joint myself. What do you think might contribute to this being the lesser known Yuasa work? The overwhelming art style? Maybe people didn't check it out because of the subject? Maybe a success in 2018 overshadows it? And we discussed about this a little bit. Yeah, and I think part of it is it's different from a normal Yuasa anime because um it has a linear conventional plot line and you look at something like tatami galaxy um that's more of i don't want to say an excuse but that's more of a vehicle for iwasa's animation skills to shine yeah because it's it's so it, it gets very abstract in a way that like benefits his weirder style like ping pong i think certainly at the time that people were viewing is like it is simultaneously too reserved and too weird for yeah. people to really get into. Yeah, for Yuasa fans, it's like too run of the mill, and for um, for and someone who watches more mainstream anime, it's just like this really weird thing. Yeah, and like Mind Game and Kaiba are respected, right? And like Tatami Galaxy is respected, but until Science Saru started, like Yuasa was still pretty like underground as yeah. far as like a director goes and i think it was because he adapted devil man which is a pretty already pretty popular license that that's when it started taking off for him yeah you and like the the adventure time episode he did the space dandy episode that he did like really pushed forward like seeing yuasa as sort of an auteur in the language that we use for it so I think it, it comes out that, you know, once once there's like a more traditional way to get into it, then we get into the weirder stuff. And ping pong is just like, it, it's just in a weird spot, I feel like right before Science Hour and everything like people just don't have the same look at it because it is, again, we talked about it like too and not enough weird in comparison to the other things that he's done and also traditional anime. But yeah, so like, that's why ping pong gets overlooked and it's. It's a damn shame, you know? Yeah. I'd I recommend Ping Pong to anyone. Like, honestly, it's like, I've been watching anime for 10 years. Ping Pong is number one. Like, the only thing that comes close to Ping Pong as a success for me in anime is Legend of the Galactic Heroes. And that takes literally 10 times the episodes 
to impart the same kind of emotional impact that Ping Pong did on me. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's real long. At least it's available now, right? Like, Legend of the Galactic Heroes is finally accessible for people. Yeah. So the opportunity is there, but like, Ping Pong is, is, a, is a good, like, short series that really encapsulates a lot of feelings and emotions. And the final one comes in again from QB, this time asking a question. Ping Pong the Animation makes exceptionally exceptional use of symbols associated with the main characters, such as stars, moons, robots, dragons, butterflies, and masked heroes. Of all of these symbols, which one would you get a tattoo of on your ass? Would you like to go first? <laughs> no, no! Honestly, I don't want to answer this question, but I feel bad not reading someone's fan mail, so... <laughs> Uh, what, what, what ass tattoo do you want if you have to pick a symbol? I would tattoo my entire ass purple. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> just like the shoes, right? Yeah, just like Kaio's entire, like... I really appreciate that, like, for the color of the, like, dominant team that, like, is super strong and scary, they picked, like, this really nice shade of purple. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what, I want, um, I want the hero on it like the ma- the mask of the hero yeah if i have to get an ass tattoo probably want that one because it's abstract enough that i can probably change the answer depending on who asks about <laughs> it and they won't ask any more questions about it <laughs> And that's everything for this episode on Ping Pong the Animation. Thanks for having me on. It was really fun to talk about it. Yeah, it was really fun. And I think it was you that got me to finally, like, watch it. Like, you talking about it and other people I knew, like, finally convincing me, like, okay, I'll give this, like, really weird looking show a shot. And I'm so happy I did because it is such a phenomenal piece of storytelling. And, like, just everything about it, from the animation to everything, is just, like, it, it, it ends up working really well, despite looking really bad in screenshots, I feel. like. Oh, yeah, it looks really bad in screenshots. Bad first impression, especially, and I realized this on the second watch, I still hate that the bit at the end of the opening, where um, Peko blows a bubble, and then, like, it pops, and he tries to, like, get the gum off his face. Yeah, but still on his nose. Yeah, it's, like, the most disgusting, like, five seconds of animation I've ever sat through, and I have to sit through it for nine of the 11 episodes. Actually, on the DVD release, it's on all 11, because the first two were just filler. Right, the first two, it's like, we didn't have the the opening finish and the rest, and then, oh, We didn't have the processing capabilities to make people look at Peko's gum mishap. (laughs) They're like, we need to... We need to draw people in first, and then we can make people look at this fucking awful piece of animation. It's just the absolute worst. And I think it it works as a really good look at what Yuasa would do after, because of the fact that Ping Pong is heavily done in Flash, and that would inform, you know, all of his work afterwards. Like, you look at, say, Night of Short Walk On Girl, and it's done in the same style, as Tatami Galaxy, but Tatami Galaxy has done more traditional animation, like, pasted on top of, like, actual photos for that sort of, like, that that feel of disassociation that comes with that series. But then you see how much has changed when you get to Night of Short Walk On Girl, and it's, like, a lot more fluid and a lot more freeform in a way that, like, 
really feels in touch with Yuasa's aesthetic design. Yeah. And I think there's always people who say that, like, traditional animation is just going to be superior, but I think Yuasa demonstrated that, like, making the most out of digital animation is, like, making the most out of the new capabilities you have. And I think the thing, like, as I mentioned before, like, rendering cigarette smoke is a chalk effect, and they do things like have actual brush strokes, like, it was done in oil paints for the sky and things like that, and making all that come together in a unified way is something that could have, it was much more easily accomplished digitally. Yeah, like... It, it's it's not about the tools you use, it's how you use them, right? And I think part of the benefit of Science Saru so far is that it's been, like, they've worked on, like, movies or, you know, a series that came out all at once. Like, they are in a position where they can just, like, focus on getting everything right before they release it. Yeah, there's not as much crunches with weekly releases. Yeah, and the fact that they captured a weekly release with Ping Pong like this is really cool. So, I th- you know, it's just, it's such a good, it's like a good piece of history for all you Yuasa heads out there. Yeah, I mean, if you like Yuasa and you haven't seen Ping Pong, you really should watch Ping Pong. Like, it is a masterpiece. Yeah, the, he he's very good at adaptation work. And so, uh, Ping Pong just really stands out um, amongst those for being, like, so well done as, like, capturing the feel of the original while still being decidedly his work. So yeah, thanks for joining us for Ping Pong the Animation. Uh, next up, Coco Disaster will be doing its seasonal coverage as Zane comes back to talk about not only the shows that we're looking forward to for the winter, as we reach the new year, we'll also be looking back on all the things we watched from fall, and I think there are some uh, happy surprises there. Maybe some, Maybe some clunkers, but some real happy surprises as well. And until then... I've been Chorpsaway. I've been Heptamarod. And this has been Coco Disaster. Sweet dreams. <laughs> Shumete wa nai, so ke mo na